I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. You maniacs! You blew it up! It was expected to be a classic, but Rovers, with largely a teenage side, won easily. See the changes here on every street As time was marching to a different beat Moving on into the restless ages The kids today find their the east end and we're back from monthly madness prof it's um gary parsons here as usual and of course the prof is beside me so we have our 50th episode and we have current orling kit man and the man that scored for overs in the fai cup final exactly 50 years ago yesterday it's 1968 and the fifth of the six in a row it's mick lawler mick you're very welcome thank you very much what do you think of Johnny Blues? I heard you were threatening to wreck the place after a drop of wine. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't always happen, but uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here, actually. I've heard uh, lots and lots about it. Uh, Johnny's Blues Bar, it's, uh, it's everything I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, before we go any further, I have to thank our sponsors for today. It's Penny Hill Cario, as usual. They give supplied our lovely beers. The Prof is drinking Cobra. I'm on the Erdinger Voice Beer and the Mix having a drop of red. So they've provided all our craft beers. They even have non-alcoholic beers. They're pushing that this week. So Just a glass for Mick. We didn't literally give him a bucket. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. It's just a bucket. Yeah. So uh, that's Penny Hill Cario. I'll go ahead and mention the podcast when you go in and get your lovely craft beers. So we'll start with 1968. You were only a teenager. And you scored in every round of the cup. Uh, scored against Cork Celtic, Shelbourne, and Dundalk in the lead up to the final. So tell us a bit about those goals. What can you remember most? Well, I certainly wouldn't remember them all. Uh, it's fifty years ago, yeah. <laughs> but certainly I, I will. I will. Uh, I remember certainly the goal in the cup final, which was probably the most fortuitous goal that I had scored. Uh, in the sense that lad Paul uh, called Paul Morrissey, uh, Waterford defender, was trying to clear the ball, and I just put my foot out and blocked his clearance, and it went into the net like a bullet. <laughs> no, yeah, like yeah, a bullet. That, that's exactly how it happened. Uh, but it, it gave me uh, a little bit of uh, profile, if you like, in the sense that I had scored in the three pre- previous rounds. So can you remember nice. the crowds that day? What were the crowds? Well, I believe I understand that it was the second highest ever attended. FAI Cup final. There was, I think, it was something in around thirty nine thousand six hundred and twenty six people. Yeah. But what we didn't know until after the game was that a few gates had gone down on the Connacht Street of the ground. Right. That was the official attendance, thirty nine thousand six hundred mm. whatever. But they don't know how many got into the stadium when the gates went down. How many were on the roof? How many? Well, not so much on the roof, but certainly. But Waterford were a fantastic team at that time. Yeah. I used to love watching them when I played against them. <laughs> they were a class act. They were. Uh, they won league titles and we won cups and six titles in eight years. They, they, for yeah, them. They, 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 yeah, they couldn't win a cup and we couldn't win a league in, yeah. in that period. Uh, so uh, 
it was a good uh, but they were a wonderful team uh, Waterford a pure football team no rogues in it no hammer men as they, as they were oh yeah then. and then yeah it was, all technicians it was, good players yeah they were brilliant yeah so uh, pop quiz can you name the only player to score in every round of the cup since you did 50 years ago well I haven't really kept uh, you know kept it in mind too much uh, I understand wasn't too far after your one now was it, there's a hint. Yeah, was it was it Charlie Ferry? That's it. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, he he done it. Did he play less games or more games? I think. Oh, I didn't count the games. But yeah. yeah, it was Finn Harps, nineteen seventy four. Yeah, they're only yeah. so the only two men to score in every round. Not the only two, but only two in the last fifty years. Well, wow. yeah. Charlie and Mick. But Charlie was yeah. a very good player. Charlie. Remember him well. And Roberts didn't even concede a goal in the entire 1960 FAA Cup, and Sligo in 2010 are the only team to achieve that since. So the back four, what were they like? Yeah, it was super, super. Uh, I think in that particular game, again, you're talking 50 years ago, was uh, made up of uh, Frank Brady, who was Liam Brady's uh, brother. Uh, there was Johnny Fulham, uh, Jimmy Gregg played right back, uh, Pat Courtney played left back. And uh, we managed to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> Johnny Fulham was in the sweeper all that day. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, uh, he a position that has pretty he much nullified been... Mick, Lee, Mick Lynch yeah, that day. Yeah, John, moved out of football John, already. Johnny was it? a superb, uh, Lord Reston was a superb reader of the game, very intelligent footballer and uh, very good distributor of the ball as well. He never wasted a pass. In fact, I, I'd have to say, and I know Johnny won't mind if he's looking down on me, that I, I would have, when I got into the team first, the standard was so high in terms of what you were expected, what was expected of you and what you should be doing and shouldn't that. I remember twice coming off the pitch practically in tears because of what Johnny had said to me yeah. and, and uh, being critical of me. But when you had time then to reflect on it, he was absolutely right yeah. each time. He was he was a great football person. Harsh but fair. Harsh, harsh but it was a great learning curve for me, and the standard was up there. And and that if you wanted to be in the team, that's the level that you yeah, had to that's reach. the jet Consi- yeah. consistently play out each uh, week. Absolutely. Well, we'll take you back to April nineteen sixty eight. So movie uh, the movie Planet of the Apes came out. Two thousand one, a space odyssey, and Martin Luther King was shot. Number one of the charts that was congratulations by Cliff Richard. And, and he just came second in the Eurovision Song mm. Contest. So that was mm. a, a throwback to 1968. Well, 1968 mm. was a good year overall for all our songs. You had Build Me Up Buttercup. Was that released then? You had Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Hey Jude. And someone even released an album called Bradley's Barn. So Bradley's Barn. Use this information for you there. It is a fine barn, but sure it is no pool, English. Uh, what, what was the build-up like to the final? I mean, what, you, we were talking about Waterford being uh, six titles in eight years, and Rovers had a young team, so was there was there much expectation? Yeah, the well, there, there was a bit of evolving uh, going on in the Rovers team at that time. Uh, there was younger players coming through, like obviously myself and Hugh Brophy and uh, Damian Richardson. Jimmy Gregg would have been relatively young as well. Uh, it was Hugh didn't play. Hugh Brophy uh, didn't play. He 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 was uh, he was part of the evolution, if you like. But I was in the dressing room that day, and and the people, and I looked around uh, the type of people and the experience that they had, and particularly that they were on a run. They they had they had won the previous four cups, so it, it wasn't a daunting it was done, task. It was then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, on the day, they, they, all these guys would have been used to it. I. 
I just remember thinking to myself that there seemed to be a kind of a carnival atmosphere about the whole thing. Yeah. For me, that's the way it felt. But, you know, when you had Johnny Fulham behind you, you've done your business first. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you were out to equal the five in a row, the Torties, and did they ever talk about equaling the record and did that ever come into the dressing you know, room it, or it, was that motivation no it wasn't such a big thing uh, really it didn't it didn't really seem to play a part in, in what we were trying to achieve yeah it didn't uh, obviously there was a great great tradition there in Shamrock Rovers of, of, mm. of being involved in the FAI Cups and winning so yeah the, the only thing was that you knew that you know, you were going to be hard to beat, and uh, any role. I think that cup final, in fact, was probably probably the first time the Shamrock Rovers were not favourites to win a mm. cup match. Oh yeah, and it was three because Waterford were so good. Wasn't even close. They were. They were really well. You know, we 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 well we had, uh, and I'm I'm just reflecting back on the game on on Friday. I, I thought maybe up front had we been a bit stronger we, we might have come out of that game a little bit better uh, and yeah. that's no reflection of the people who were there like we had Mick Leach mm. who was a goal machine got two Th- that day that, that was it yeah he got two that day I think I put him in for the first one and he, he, he conjured up the second one himself he was a wonderful goal scorer and you mentioned the crowd there 39,000 the highest yeah. ever was actually 44,000 yeah. in 1945 between Rovers and Bowes but as you right. say the gates came down so could have possibly actually been near that. Yes, but you wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we didn't know. We just heard afterward that the gates had gone down and so nobody really knew how many people was in the ground. But it was just yeah. a, it was a fantastic crowd. And was the atmosphere similar to, as in, was there singing sections back then? Was there, was there no. pe- people singing songs? No, no. There wouldn't have been uh, singing. There wouldn't have been chants or anything like that. Right. It was... It was uh, Get stuck in. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably too squashed in to sing. Were they like you packed in like sardines and dead? Yeah, or Milton maybe more so. Interestingly, I think I have it right. We played Waterford, who were going for the league title. We played them in Milltown in about six weeks before we played them in the cup final. And my understanding, again, the official attendance given for Milltown that day was twenty-two thousand people. Which was extraordinary, and how people didn't get hurt or, or yeah. whatever with mm-hmm. that many massive overcrowd in a small ground like that. I, I think I, that I, might have been the record attendance. I can't imagine. I think yeah. it might have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, thirty nine thousand in in daily mount. I can't imagine it. Can you? No, I mean, it was last time they had ten even. I can really can't imagine that many people being in Daily Mount Park. It's it's crazy. Yeah, but I think life has changed so much, and there's so many other kind of distractions for people, and you know, and there's more cars, and people have other things that they yeah, can do. Yeah, it's kind of sad in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it, it well, it's uh, be nice to have the crowds back. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Yeah. So, um, how good was Mick Leach? Quite a bit of a favor, a bit of a fan favor back in the day. Well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But anybody that scores goals the way Mick Leach scored them, yeah. I mean, uh, Mick, Mick, uh, I kind of phrase about Mick Leach. I said he was the only guy that scored goals without hitting the net, <laughs> yeah. meaning that he could just pass the ball into the net and it would just get there. You know, he never tried to burst the ball or tried to hammer it into the net. Mm. Most of his goals were side uh, side foot. Oh yeah, uh, passing the ball, passing. It was uh, excellent, excellent. The Jimmy Grease of 
Oh, he was. Soccer. I believe he was known. Yeah. yeah, no question. And who was uh, who was the best strike partner you've ever played with? The best, best striking partner. Who who was the striking? Well, that's a difficult one because mm. I had a long career. Uh, I, I mean, I went to Milltown. Name a couple was, off the top of your head. I, I was fifteen, I think. Uh, I I well, Mick Leach certainly. Uh, I think it might be unfair, really, to to because inevitably you end up not mentioning somebody. Yeah. And and I always think that maybe you're, you're better off just yeah. you know talking in general about. But <laughs> I, I have to talk about Mick Leach because I played with him for six or seven years, and and uh, and he was extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, but there was lots of other good centre forwards as well that I played with. But to go through them, it wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just going to leave somebody out. <laughs> we had Mick on the show actually. Um, I asked him, did Rawers prepare any differently for the cup? And he said that other clubs would go into special training. Whereas at Rovers would do the opposite, we'd just start playing five sides. Mm. So what made us so unbeatable in the cup? Well, I think I think playing Johnny behind uh, Johnny Fulham behind the the two lads in front of it, I I think that was a master uh, class by Liam Tuey. Liam decided that that's what he wanted to do, and uh, because our, our results certainly when you think about that, we hadn't won a league title for so many years, mm. and uh, so. He he was very very shrewd, Liam. Uh, very, very shrewd in the in the in the context of knowing what we needed to do to nullify who might be represent the danger in the opposition. Mm. And and, uh, and that day it was a masterstroke. Yeah. Because every time it went to Johnny, it meant we got possession, mm. and he did. He never gave the ball away. Mm. Why were we so effective in one-off knockout ties as opposed to a twenty-two game season? I, I can't answer that really yeah. I, I can't really answer that uh, I, I, I was and remember I only came in on the last two uh, cup final wins uh, so I, 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 I don't think we actually went out to do anything different there was just an aura about Shamrock Rovers and the FAI Cup mm-hmm. and it, 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 it wasn't tangible you know but it was just it was there it was kind of in the air and, yeah. and the expectancy was there so and you, you definitely stepped up to the plate mm. if you were in a cup game with Chamber Crow. Was there ever in it within the dressing room, was there ever any questions to why you like like Carl just said, did you ever question yourselves and why you couldn't get to the league title or what was the problem within the squad or was the cup success good enough to keep the fans and the board happy as well and things like that? Well yeah, and and, and our attendances were, were very very good yeah you know uh so the board the board the board wouldn't have been a kind of a okay like in modern day if if you don't win something that your your time is up good yeah. luck now we, we have to have success and we're entitled to success and the fans are entitled to success and and there wasn't that sort of pressure in those no. days there wasn't that sort of pressure uh we, we were always there or thereabouts and and the crowds were good, uh, and and I think when I arrived, like I arrived in Milltown when I was fifteen. I mean, you know, th- that would have been unheard of. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the time, uh, and as I said, um, people like Huey Brophy and and Damien and Jimmy Gregg and and y- younger younger players, and I think the club was kind of going through a transitionary period at that time. Yeah. And that's maybe why. Uh, didn't we, push we, on for the we league. We didn't yeah. push on for the league titles. 
And again, a quote from Mick Leach, he, he thought that we were invincible in the Cup until that game against Shelburne in 1970. He described it as a bad dream. Yeah. He just thought we'd keep winning the Cup forever. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember coming off the pitch that day and for the first time ever, I got a puck on the back of one of the supporters. <laughs> <laughs> because their expectations were... were, were as, I can only as, imagine as, the pressure as back loud then. ...as ours and... and uh, they, they certainly uh, weren't happy, particularly to Shelbourne, I suppose. It was mm. very hard to take uh, on that particular day. We were dreadful that day. We just didn't play well, simple as. After six well. in a row to go in the yeah. first round. Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 Oh, but it was, uh, make us right, it was a horror story. <laughs> so you're on the Republic of Ireland equipment team now, along with Dick Rebbin, Kitman Dick, as he's known. And uh, he's famous for flying into the Ireland dressing room in a Superman costume. So what's have you ever done the costume to celebrate a win? No, he's, he's, uh, he, I think I'm not too long ago there, he wanted me to do Robin, as in Batman and Robin, <laughs> but I, I just didn't think, if the roles were reversed, I may have gone for <laughs> You were Batman, but, but I was happy, uh, well, I shouldn't say I was happy, but we didn't win the game, so uh, there was no donning of Batman suits, yeah. so, uh, so Tricky Dicky we call him, he's, he's a he, hugely entertaining person to have in your in oh, your yeah. backroom team and people like that are very necessary yeah you know mm. and it, it is a really really tight talented backroom team that we have and uh, dr alan Bourne would be the person uh, as we'd say he's the glue that sticks us all together oh yeah he, oh yeah the, the very talented uh, sports medical doctor and and very good at choosing who he wants to you know for particular roles yeah. he's, he's excellent he is and Liam Brady recruited you in 2008 is that right yeah Liam, Liam that and I, well how it came about was I was a trustee of what was known as the former International Players Trust Fund okay uh, which was started by uh, John Delaney's father Joe who I loved he was a great man right. Joe he's still a great man by the way Uh and we put together the, the, these uh, trustees like uh, uh, David Andrews, uh, for, former uh, minister of several different uh, departments, uh, uh, John Delaney himself, uh, Terry Conroy, former Irish Soccer International, right. uh, myself. And what we done was we, we were able to, at, at that time, those testimonial games. Now, this trust fund wasn't for current international players right. this this fund helped former international players who never made money in the game oh, I, see, I and, see and were able to to we were able to help them to overcome whether it be medical bills or accommodation or in fact we, we also got a couple of lads who couldn't walk anymore the more they were housebound and we were able to get these mobility chairs for them Oh, which, well, which looking after helped, each other, yeah. helped improve their their their, their lives yeah, and uh, done great work uh, the trust fund until it was uh, and uh, until it was uh, replaced by the Johnny Giles Foundation, right. who still help uh, people. So pretty much do the same role now. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, only it's more extensive now what they do and and uh, but when we when we had that former international press trust fund, we we done some great work oh, for, yeah. for people and and we were delighted. 
So Liam knew you through that. So Liam uh, was then on uh, a couple of committees where we were arranging uh, uh, a reunion. Now, this was before the economy suffered a lot. Right. And, and, uh, but we, we got this committee together to arrange uh, a gathering of every former international player that we could right. get uh, to agree to come along to it. And uh, we, 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 I got to know Liam a little bit better. Liam used to come to Milltown to see his younger brother, Frank, play. Right. You know, no, he's passed away, poor Frank. Uh, great lad, too. Uh, but Liam used to come over occasionally from England. When he played on a Saturday, he'd come to Milltown to see yeah. the games. And uh, we, we would have known each other from then. But got to know each other a little bit better when we had these uh, meetings to arrange the former international players' dinner uh, right. or reunion, and that turned out to be a, an absolutely massive success. Oh, it was really, really good. And are you enjoying the job at the moment? Are you loving the Kitman job? Well, I think like my father, uh, Kit Lauder, uh, would have uh, played with Drumcondra. He would have played away uh, in Doncaster for six years, and he played for Ireland uh, a few times as well. So. That was the start that we lived in East Wall and that was the start and the introduction into sport that we got. Now, my dad would have been part of the folklore. He, he would have been up there in terms of stature with the likes of, say, Paddy Code, oh, yeah. uh, who was a, a, a great Rovers player, apparently yeah. in the mid-50s, uh, the late 50s. So my dad... It's funny how it affects you, like, in, in a community, a small community as it was at the time in East Wall, like, because you were Kit Lawler's son, uh, you, you, your standing in the, in, in, the, in, in the community was enhanced. Yeah, celebrity status, you could say. Well, well, like a local celebrity. Well, we weren't celebrities when we were growing up, but, but you knew that everybody knew Kit Lawler. And, like, if you were walking down the street... You know, I think I described at one time at my dad's passing, actually, that I was walking over to play for Sheriff United over in Sheriff Street, which is very close to East Wall. And these two people walked by, who I knew worked with my dad down in the Liffey Dockyard. And when they were gone by, I could hear one of them saying, that's one of Kit Lawler's sons. Yeah, yeah. And the surge of pride that you got from hearing things like that, yeah. you know, it was, it was wonderful. Now... I, I, there's nine boys and one girl in our family right. and our, our eldest uh, is John who has special needs still very much alive at 74 years of age despite uh, you know uh, health issues uh, but he's still with us and uh, he's a wonderful character but all the other brothers played football yeah and we used to enter into this. They for Rovers too. Would that have been? Well, would well, it, was Belvo? Would well, that have been Belvo? Your for your first club that near enough East Wall, isn't it? My first. Club. Yeah, your, no, your my schoolboy. My first, my one and only schoolboy team was Sheriff United. Sheriff United, yeah. yeah. That would be Sheriff YC now. It, that's still Sheriff YC yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, but. Fantastic well, we, tradition and history to, with that team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Run, they, they run a muck in the AOL, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. But to finish on the brothers thing, we, mm. we, we, we're all, we all played, with the exception of, of the special needs lad. And we were trying to think of a name. When we started playing together, we were trying to think of a name that would suit. And my dad worked in the Rourke's Bakery 
at the time. And their brand at the time was uh, Mother's Pride bread. Right. So we thought, well, that's it. So at least my mother will be mentioned and it will suit my dad as well because yeah. he worked in the bakery. So, <laughs> there you go. so when we played in competitions, won several competitions and had a great time together. But that's it. Was going to uh, Euro 2012 and Euro 2016 among the highlights working with Ireland so far? I think, I think all the time I've been in the job, they've all been highlights. Now there's been downlights as well, but highlights, and I, I, I would always say the two elements of the job that I love most is out on the training ground with the players and on the sideline up close yeah. and personal so eat, in the thick of the, the action really eating the games yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well yeah. you you have to be clued in on the sideline as to what's going on and whether somebody has blood on their shirt or they have a loose stud in their boot or whatever and so you have to be alert so every aspect so let's say boots pair of boots get ripped you're on it that's that's, oh, oh, that's you yeah. yeah oh that's that's what uh, Dick and I do we, we, we're alive to every uh, possibility and everything that happens that is going to affect the player's performance mm. so whilst you like, you love watching the game but you have to be aware of you still have your you know, role the overall yeah yeah, yeah. it's a crow here from uh, former Ireland kit man Charlie O'Leary mm. and he says that you guys have it easy now so he says <laughs> I know Mick's father kit I, I refereed Mick mm. he says I think the system has, has changed in my day I had gear stored out there. I looked after all the equipment, the juniors, the ladies, the defence forces. If they wanted equipment, they came to me, and I'd travel with the juniors and seniors. Now I don't think it's like that. They get the equipment straight from the factory to the hotel, open and unloaded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great man, Charlie O'Leary. What a character. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful man. I love Charlie. And, and I, I grew up living 100 yards from Charlie. In oh, East, yeah? In East Walt. Yeah. So it's ironic that the two of us end up doing the kit. What I, what, <laughs> I would, what I would say about what Charlie is saying is that there are far more uh, international teams now playing out of uh, the FAI's uh, headquarters. Uh, I would say now that uh, both the FIFA and UEFA regulations as to what you wear, what you can wear, and what you can't wear, and what you can do and what you can't do right. uh, have changed considerably and tightened up considerably maybe from Charlie's time. Uh, so, and, and yeah, the, the, probably... The modern players' uh, demands, not demands, but their uh, expectations of, it, it, like, for instance, uh, I'm in the job almost 10 years. When I started out, uh, there was of a squad that would come in, say, of 30, 30 players, probably about 10 of them would have been XLs. XL? Size, XL size, yeah. And then there would have been the next you know, 12, 14 players would have been all large. Right. And then you would have had a couple of mediums. The odd mediums, yeah. The, the odd medium. That has nearly totally reversed itself. Like, we'd have four small, now in the squads, in the recent squads, there'd be four players who want and request a small size. They want it stuck to them. They want yeah, the shawls yeah, bigger. It, it may be a fashion thing, <laughs> but, but uh, and then there'd be a huge amount of uh, mediums and then the rest would be large we would have no excels that's very, true very you never see a baggy XLs. jersey anymore on anybody yeah do. yeah yeah but but i think what's happened as well 
the, the food nutritional science has kicked in as well with players and you see them coming in now and whilst they're toned and they're wiry they've no backside in their nicks you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're as slim <laughs> as, as wiry as, as you'll get really yeah. and that's the, the food nutritional uh, science part of, of the cutting team, down on body fat which, yeah. which is where our backroom team our medical backroom team come into it as well to carry on and make sure that the players are eating right and yeah. having the right amount of everything and uh, and doing and, and these fellas would have the same type of help at their clubs so it's not easy for them to be slim and trim yeah and, and uh, so. tell us a bit about what this is a question for me what we've noticed nowadays as regards to equipment if you look at like shin guards mm. shin guards are like the shin guards nowadays are like a loaf of bread you mm. just slipped them in but back in your day what was there did well, they, I, did they I, even wear them well I remember uh, I played for a League of Ireland select versus Liverpool now this would have been back in the probably very early 70s and uh, I used to I used to have these pads that had the, the kind of ivory sticks in them you know, right. fl- flat sticks it, it was, and they were about a quarter of an inch thick you know and and uh, and that was the pants that I wore and a, a fella called Graham Soonis came in and boom and went, <laughs> and went through it and brought tears to my eyes uh, I was able to continue playing but had to be him uh, you know <laughs> but, honest, but nowadays it's there is a, a consciousness there among players uh they want they want to be fashionable they they like their it their is gear. a fashion thing they, they like their gear in a certain way and that's fair enough yeah. i always remember liam tui or not liam tui liam brady i said that when i was starting out in this job i knew absolutely nothing but uh, I, anyway i was asked to do the job and i came in and i have to say it was quite difficult starting out uh, but the the I said to Liam Brady, I said, Liam, how do you want me to treat these guys? And he said, Mick, he said, just remember this. If they ask for something and you haven't got it, get it for them. Right. Don't give them any excuse for not training well or playing well. Yeah. Ah, I see, yeah. Oh, I didn't have, me, I didn't have so, me double X or me, me small T-shirt. Yeah, so so yeah. now that's, that's where it might have changed from Charlie O'Leary's time that, that players now are quite specific in terms of the way they, they, they the size that they want. Who's the fussiest? Can you give us that? Who's the fussiest in the Orleans squad at the moment? If that's what makes them feel good, that's fine. And if, if that's going to help them to forget about what they're yeah. wearing and just concentrate on playing, that's what you do for them. Fair give enough. them what they want. They don't want that in the back of their mind. They don't no, want, no, yeah, no, no. Which is probably something that could happen, you know. Yeah. But have you noticed the shin guards nowadays? They're, they're yes. Lit, I, I, so they, they seem really thin. Let me tell you, players don't really want to wear shin pads. No? No. So the smallest, the neatest and the slimmest... You know, just to uh, just to 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 uh, keep the referee happy. Yeah, that's that's what they'll do. And then we had uh, we had Steve McPhail. He was called up the trap squad. Yeah, the first couple of times, and he was never capped. Was he? Uh, was he impressive in training? I loved I loved Stephen playing. Yeah, yeah. he 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 was uh, he was very good. I I think Stephen has he's had uh, health issues in the past, which I'm delighted to say. I saw him at the, the um, Shamrock Rovers uh, Limerick game the other night and he looks absolutely fantastic. So yeah. hopefully all his problems are in the past. Mm. And Yeah, but what a, what a footballer. He was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was a class act. He was, even, mm. even towards the end of his career at Rovers, he was yeah. excellent. He yeah. just didn't, didn't give the ball away. 
very classy yeah. classy exactly yeah. perfect yeah. word for playing with pipe and slippers at times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about trap now with uh, Martin O'Neill what were their styles how did they vary as regards to um, management styles you have O'Neill obviously they were very different and what, what, how could you describe them in a way what way were they different well that's that, that's look I I I don't really want to talk about that particular aspect of what I right. do because I have to focus on keeping all the players happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, but look, it's uh, I loved I loved Giovanni Trapattoni. I thought he was a great football person, and 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 Marco and and Fausto who were part of his team. Uh, but time moves on, and you know when you you accept Martin has done very well. Yeah, he has done really really well with. with you know, with with the team and 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 the expectations. Okay, we we, we got done against uh, Denmark, but uh, at home. But to get us even to that stage, it's quite impressive. Yeah. And, and to go away and get the away results that we got, like nil nil in, in in Denmark, a win in Wales when when we really had to. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't think we'd pull so, that one after. So and then you've got to look at the result he, he gets in, against Italy in the Euros as well. I mean that that's not a mistake. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. Look, that takes a lot of hard work and and input into it. So, you know, let's just hope that we we continue uh, and get more success. Mm. And you were somewhere in there in the celebrations when uh, well, Brady's goal went apparently in. Apparently, our our our. Uh, your video analyst uh, lad, Jared Dunn, uh, he has me doing a, a, a jig on the sideline. <laughs> I've never actually seen it, but but apparently I, I was quite good. I'd say he's, he's biding his time with that video. <laughs> Didn't know you had a jig in you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently one of Martin O'Neill's biggest pet hates, this is uh, Dickie brought this one up, is seeing players with their hands in their pockets. In their pockets. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. I'd agree with that. Well, I, I think all managers have little little things about them that they they like and what they don't like, and and that's that's certainly one of the things. And we mm. learned that very quickly when we were at the training ground with Martin. Uh, you know, he might be doing the talk, and he'd see somebody with their hands in their pockets. <laughs> Five laps gone. Get your get your hands out of your pockets. Was it true that did he started chasing them uh, five euro, if they were caught every time? And then the fines went towards the annual Kitman's Christmas party. That sounds like true. a good idea. No, that's not true. There's no annual Kitman's uh, Christmas party. <laughs> there's, no, there's no Christmas party fund. It did sound like it. And uh, we were, what about Damien Duff? Did you have a chat with him on Friday? Friday, did brief you? chat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Our centurion. Yeah, doing uh, great work with our fifteens at the moment. Well, you know, I lo- I lo- what I loved about Damien when when you watched games, he seems no nonsense. That's oh, what no, I- Damien is straight as a die. Yes, yeah. he's, he's a class act. But what I loved about him was when he got on a ball, you kind of feel yourself lifting your backside off the seat because you think something is going oh, to yeah. happen and the expectation of something happening that's going to be good. It's, uh, it's fantastic. He, 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 he brought everybody to their feet one way or the other. He, he, he was a great player. Great player. Enda Stevens, a former hoop, he got his first call recently. Do you think he'll get that first cap eventually? I do. Yeah, I, I, I think he will because I, whilst we were talking about the kid earlier, if I looked at the first squad that I worked with and I look at the squad that's going to meet up for the next couple of games... 
it's amazing the way it just evolves. Yeah. You know, now in lots of in lots of cases, it's it's an age thing. You know, where people just can't keep playing forever. Yeah. So the likes of the Robbie Keynes and the Shay Givenses and people like Kevin Cabans and all that, they they just come to a stage where they're just mm. not involved <coughs> anymore. They retire gracefully or whatever. So it it's it just evolves and it keeps evolving all the time. I know we had uh, we had about eight new caps on the pitch for the game. Turkey game, yeah. So that's significant. Eight. Trying to blood the new generation, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what that's what Martin and Roy are faced with now, and and uh, I know there'll be a lot of players who didn't go to Turkey who will come back in, but I think one of the brightest uh, results from the whole uh, thing has been. Uh, Royce, uh, Royce. Uh, oh yeah, he, he's he's a fine player and and we're a lovely impressive goal. debut. He's, he's a great temperament, and he's he's uh, playing uh, week in week out in the Premiership as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nineteen nineteen years of age. Must be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, lots of players in the last ten years. Uh, who anyone have any superstitions? Anybody? A bit tricky about that gear. Well, well the only superstition. Left boot, superstitions, force, right boot, force, I, I, right. Yeah, and you, there's lots of that. Really? <laughs> Absolutely lots of that. But I mean, it's the same with management. Management, will, I know Marco Tadelli wore the same raincoat for about four years. Yeah. <laughs> you so you, yeah, you didn't have to give him out then. <laughs> so, Saved a few quid so, with Marco. Uh, so. And what about yourself? Do you have any superstitions? Do, I you, don't lay, have do any... you lay out the socks for us? The, the no, no, like no, that? no, 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 no. I don't. I don't have any superstitions like that. Uh, and yeah, there there are players, and you've got to go with that, you know, because if that's what makes them feel good yeah. and and gets them mm. and prepares them properly, you you just go with the flow. Yeah. And how would you compare that to the dressing room in Milltown in the sixties, where they all just straightforward, no superstitions, or did you have some? Uh, no, not that I, not, I wasn't quite aware of, of anybody's superstitions. It wasn't something that you had talked about. Uh, the first time I became aware of superstitions in, in uh, football was Don Reavy. Uh, used to apparently have about three or four different uh, superstitions and he was obsessed about it yeah. and, and was quite upset if one of them went wrong and he, yeah, didn't, yeah. he couldn't have what he, what he felt was going to be helpful to him. Mm. So uh, after that, no. And uh, were you in Paris the night of the Henri handball? I was. I what was. was the fallout like? Well, uh, look, you see, the problem about that, well, there was one thing I was happy about that night was that the fans in the stadium who were up this end didn't know anything about the handball. So they didn't see it, they didn't copy it. Our fans have one of the best reputations in terms of conduct and how yeah. they behave themselves yeah. all over the world. Yeah. They've been absolutely a credit to themselves. And I think they do a bit of policing among, among themselves as well. Right. So fair play to them, I'm saying. But I was delighted that they didn't see, because it was just outrageous. It wasn't just... Did a, you see it from the bench? I saw I saw it. But yeah. I wasn't quite... But do you know when you're looking at it, did I actually see that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I actually not got a bad view of it because he, he had to put his hand kind of behind him a little bit. Uh, what I was amazed was that the, the, the linesman on the far side, uh, now he was on the far side and he didn't quite see, he stopped the ball with this part of his arm. Forearm. Right? Yeah, forearm. And then he, 
when it when it wasn't enough to stop it going out, Second he flicked it in back <laughs> in with his hand. You know, so You're playing basketball, uh, wasn't it? Like, yeah, the, uh, crazy, uh, isn't it? Darren Randolph's uh, dad, Eduardo, uh, he he's a great uh, basketball player. He would have been happy about that night. And in the even in the dressing room afterwards, everybody knew, obviously, and. Well, no, it's only when the, uh, yes, we, we, we did know because yeah. the video analysts um, would have uh, made straight us aware of Well, even before the end of the game, yeah. he, he would have been sending little messages down, you know, to the management to say that, look, this is what's happened there. There was a blatant handball, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the only disappointment I had that night, I loved Thierry Henry playing. I think he was a very gifted, very talented, great goal scorer. What I didn't like about the whole uh, handball incident was he, he ran away celebrating as if nothing had happened yeah. and he didn't do any mm. wrong. And I think that was reflected after the game when you see him going over to sit with Richard Dunn and Robbie Kane. I didn't like that. No, yeah. no, it was very hard to take given that you've just been dumped out of a competition and, and that was probably one of our better performances in my time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it really was against a, 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 a France team, Tottenham superstars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It yeah. was Dover's assist, wasn't it? Pulled back for Keane. It was a brilliant. Yeah, goal. that's right. Brilliant yeah. goal. Absolutely. Yeah, great. As we'll talk a little bit about um, the League of Ireland now and the the FAI governance of it. Um, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between the international team and the the League of Ireland. Do 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 you agree with that, or do you think else well, something else? Again, that's not something that I have very strong views on. I think if you're a manager, you'll pick the players that you think are going to bring success to you. I cannot see a situation where a manager is not going to pick a League of Ireland player who is outstanding and and leaves no doubt in anybody's mind about his credentials to yeah. play for the for the yeah. international team. I don't think managers do that. Cra- they crave success as much as the supporters do, yeah. the, the management. So I think they'll do the right thing. And I, I know a lot of people, a lot of uh, League of Ireland fans will say, well, he doesn't give anybody a chance at League of Ireland. You know, I, I, I think that's down to just, uh, that's the manager's judgment. Yeah. And, and it has to be left to the manager to decide whether somebody is good enough or not good enough. Now, Martin hasn't been too bad in terms of inviting players in from, from League of Ireland. I know Giovanni done it several times, but and I think it might be something that Martin might consider down the road a little bit, maybe doing that yeah. a little bit more. Certainly when we're home and we're in camp here, you know, that might be something that Martin mm-hmm. might may consider. And you won five caps for Ireland. You made your Ireland debut uh, home to Poland in 1970 in September. Yeah. And the team was Kelly, Brennan, Bourne, Hand, Dempsey, Mulligan, Conroy, Dunphy, Tracy Lawler and Highway. What's your mm. best Ireland memory? Well, I think in that match... I, I, Were you nervous before your debut? Uh, I wouldn't say... You know, people sometimes confuse nervous with adrenaline flows. Right. You know, like I used to always... I love the feeling in my stomach that some people think is nerves. Yeah. It's not. It's an adrenaline rush that you get. You just. And not many people can make that difference, though. They can well, distinguish I know, that. Yeah. I, 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 well, for a long time I couldn't, but I know now because I'm a bit wiser. I'm, I'm in my late thirties now. I'm getting on a bit. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but uh, 
No, I, I, I couldn't say I was nervous. I was looking forward to it so much and I'm and, and quite happy to be doing what my father had done. And, and uh, so I loved it, but I, I, I cracked heads with a lad in, in the, and I had to had to leave the pitch at, at halftime or I had to explain to Mick Megan, Mick, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm looking at a fella and there's three of them down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I knew there was something wrong and I, I wasn't going to be able to function properly. Yeah. So, But then I, I went on to, to enjoy a few more games with the with the uh, international squads. I, I was involved around maybe about 10 times, but I actually only played five games. Yeah, yeah. But great experience. Yeah. Great. One of the games was in Italy, I believe, was it? Yeah, yeah. that was... That was in, in the Stadium Communale in uh, in Florence. Uh, and they had some great players who, be, before you were born, uh, there was uh, Mazzola and Fichetti and uh, Bonancini and some great players. Uh, they beat us 3-0. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen these red flares. You know, oh, yeah? Yeah, first time <laughs> ever. I think there was about 60,000, 70,000 people in the stadium. But it was a great experience. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. I actually uh, came on in that game, I think after about 23 minutes, I think Eamon, Eamon Dunphy got injured. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, uh, so so I, I, I came onto the pitch then. You still remember the flares in the stand? Yeah, people. Oh, it, was, it was a great experience. And a uh, bit of Rovers news there. We announced the signing of St. Johnson goalkeeper Alan Manis and he'll join the squad training in a few weeks and he can't play until July. Yeah, it was a good time and it gave red tape there. Gave everyone in the club a lift just when we needed it. And uh, there's a fella on the Rowers farm me called uh, My Post. He's a bit of a let's just call it's him a, bit a, of a, a cynic. <laughs> but I remember at the time when Manus left Rowers to go to St Johnson and he wasn't playing for a while. And he kept saying, Oh, he's after leaving to go to Scotland to sit on the bench and do nothing. Well it's now the year twenty eighteen. He played over two hundred times. He won a cup. He's been a really good servant yeah. for St. Johnson and he's, they've um they're they're not happy that he's gone, but I think it's 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 a family reason he has to come home, you know. So he's one of the best keepers still. He really is. And we uh, we Ryan Thompson. Remember the Belgrade save, prof. Still one of the best saves I've ever seen in, in a game of football. And uh he said he's another reason to come and visit Ireland now. So there must have been a a, a good little relationship that they had. Because he was the understudy to Manus and then Thompson stepped into his boots when he left. Yeah. And uh, Justin Mason summed it up perfectly. He said, seven years on, we finally replaced Alan Manus with Alan Manus. <laughs> so we've been struggling goalkeeping-wise for the last couple of years. We finally replaced Alan Manus with Alan Manus. And uh, someone posted a video of him getting swarmed and ho- hoisted up by Hoops fans at the Talon Molly Malone uh, game following the nil all draw in Estonia. And that was his last game for us. So Maloney was in there. There was a lot of a lot of Al memories, and I think one of the memories I have was the Copenhagen save at home. Oh, no, sorry, not Copenhagen. He saved a penalty against against Florida Talent. Against Florida Talent, yeah. a very, very, very weak penalty, and uh, that's one of my. And even in the video that we watched there against Galway, it was a 6-0 win, but there was a save down to his left-hand side from a point-blank header. Absolutely brilliant. That was in a 6-0 win, but he still pulled it off. It was absolutely stunning. The one against St. Pat's as well, when Billy Suarez got sent off. He saved in the last minute. Billy Suarez. Yeah, so loads of Al memories. And um, 
Can you think of uh, the best keeper you've played or a couple of the best keepers that you've played? I think in the League of Ireland context, I think uh, Peter Thomas in Waterford when he when he played was a superb goalkeeper. Yeah. He, he was really good. And, and he wasn't 6 foot 4 or anything near it, but he... he he was absolutely brilliant goalkeeper at the time. I hmm. must say, you know, I have to straight off the bat. That's yeah. the fourth yeah. game. Of the yeah, 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 yeah. The League of Ireland context. Yeah, great, great keeper. A regular on Facebook is uh, Jimmy Cummins. I know he would have only been sort of a reserve keeper in the sixties, but yeah, he constantly pops up on Facebook, posting all the pictures from the sixties. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Very nice lad, Jimmy. Yeah, He's I played, with him. Now. I played yeah. with him for two years on on a Rover Speed team. Uh, it was very difficult to break into the Shamrock Rovers team at the time, but I played with him. A great shot stopper. Uh, I think Jimmy would realise that the modern keeper now is six foot three, six foot four. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but Jimmy was a great uh, shot stopper. I uh, liked him mm. as a lad. He's a great lad. And uh, as always, we look at messages from our overseas hoops, all our overseas followers. We keep them in the loop. And Dave Downey wrote, he said he's really loving the podcast. He said he's been studying Louisiana for the year at LSU. And the Taste of the East End podcast keeps him going throughout the week. So he tells, he says, keep it up, lads. We certainly will. And we thank all the lads and anyone who gives us praise. Because... Uh, we love the praise here at Tales from the East End. Is this your first podcast, Mick? It is. First yeah. ever. It's your debut. Yeah. Pardon? It's your my, debut. My debut, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 50 years on. <laughs> yeah. And then we had Pat Dolan, who had a piece in the Star, supporting Bradzer as well. And we spoke about this last week, about the the kind of, the way the media kind of get on people's backs when they're when they're down. They kind of kick them, mm. kick them when they're down at times. So it was good to see Pat Dolan with a supportive piece in the in the media it was nice but the only problem I had was he wrote the exact same piece about Trevor Crowley four years ago oh, that's just kind that. of Pat's gimmick he supports managers all the time but generally I like the guy like, he's a very positive guy I know he is yeah. he's really really positive a lovely man as well and uh, our pre-match interviews were done outdoors as well did so you, did you hear the birds chirping the, the birds chirping and the wind it was the weather for howling it. Yeah. It, was on the, it was on the pitch and put course actually beside Rodstown the pitch and putt course, is it? Hmm. Uh, we had Dan Carr, who was interviewed in the programme, and he described his bow's goal as a flying back heel. Is that the way he described it? Do you know what it could have been? Did it's you see that one, Mick? The bow's goal? Yeah. I only saw it on television. The agility. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so he called that a flying back heel, and he had a signature goal celebration. Did you ever try a backflip when you scored, Mick? Uh, no for a celebration I've never, never done that I didn't want to disappear up my backside <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that and we had uh, Conor Fitzpatrick and Sean O'Connor uh, they were laughing the programme because their mate Barry he was in the fan feature and the picture of him took up half a page right in the programme whereas my one I built a 1968 team as you can see I only got a postage stamp size photograph. Let's have a look here. Apologies for how, how small it is. Oh, that's the, yeah, yeah. I that was the clear. Bring back memories. I'm just wondering who who the uh, player was that I couldn't think of earlier. I'll show you full size. 24. Jimmy Craig, Frank Brady. No, I got them all. Yeah, I have yeah, to. Uh, she, look at the girls in that photo. Yeah. yeah. I, I got an instruction coming out the door from my son, Alvin. Yeah. Who who has a great friend Keith Doyle and his father, who are absolute avid supporters of Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. So I thought I'd better mention Alvin before I I go so I can go home now. 
Yeah. Actually, uh, that, that young lad in it is, is a, a grandson, uh, or no, sorry, is a son of Paddy Ambrose, the great Shamrock Rovers player. Still our all-time goalscorer record. That's Pat, uh, Pat, uh, Paddy Ambrose Jr. Uh, obviously, yeah. Billy Lord. Billy uh, Lord. Yeah. Famous for his uh, cigarette ashes. Yeah. They called it the cure. Well, it was the mixture the of, the, of the ashes and the olive oil. That, 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 that was the secret. <laughs> Used to smoke like 80 to 100 packs a day or something. The, the, that's him. Billy. Yeah. yeah. And then we had Jim Toner. He was talking about our 1899 suite again. He said, Ray Whelan on the curry and the blades on the decks. And he said, what's not to love in the 1899 suite? Friday night is football night. So you were invited to the, to the game on Friday, Mick. Much smaller crowd than usual, but what did you make of the pre-match experience and the bar in the 1899? Yeah, I, I, I just was listening around me uh, and and everybody seemed to be very happy about that. Uh, you know, the, that, you know, the atmosphere was good and the surroundings were good and everybody seemed really up for the game and it was just a pity that after 90 minutes it didn't uh, go our way yeah. unfortunately yeah. saw you chatting to Mick O'Connell as well he was the Rovers kit man for 16 Michael years was, yeah, is yeah. there some sort of kit man bond there what a, what a lovely fella he is, he is a great guy and you, you know uh, when, when I left Milltown which is around the 73-74 I hadn't seen Michael for a oh donkey's years about 30 years I think I hadn't seen him for and, wow. then, and then I met him uh, really nice guy and very good uh, when I was there in Milltown that what he done and looked after all the boots and you know he's a great guy Michael was it just great one guy. set of boots back then was it just one pair of boots you had in Milltown yeah and they were always carried in, in a, a brown paper bag yeah yeah. and now now you've got what <laughs> six and seven pairs of boots for each uh, well for each player well certainly uh with the level that the international players operate at, there's always very strong sponsorship there who are always wanting their boots to be, particularly if they're on the pitch and, and all that. So so players today uh, don't have an issue about whether right, they Right, so is that something you have to do as regards to, let's say, I don't know, somebody sponsored by a particular brand, they have that, that certain type of boot? Well, well certainly on the sideline... Uh, we uh, well certainly Dick and I we, we can only have the, the the main sponsors gear the, on us the New Balance stuff, yeah, yeah yeah lovely yeah. gear and, and, that, and that's not a chore really no. it's uh, nice to get a bit of nice new gear every <laughs> yeah. now and again you know so we had a uh, one of our DJs was our resident DJs Jamie Heaton so we had an interview with him and we're gonna listen to that one now so I'm here with Jamie Heaton and one of our resident DJs and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about his experience DJing and first of all tell us how how he got into Rovers. How I got into Rovers. The Genesis. Um, well, uh, I think it kind of goes back really to my dad. So when he would have been growing up, he was football mad, mad into Arsenal. And Rovers would have kind of been his League of Ireland team. So he kind of always had a soft spot for the club without being kind of, he wouldn't have been a regular in Milltown or anything like that, but always had a soft spot for him. That kind of be the case with kind of a lot of, like I'm, I'm not originally a dub, I'm, Kildare all my life and my dad's the same and he would have got he kind of caught the tail end of the six in a row and a lot of that kind of generation if you're it big goes as far football. back as the six in a row so yeah. it's a long time yeah. happening in the family now so yeah a lot of country people who automatically your League of Ireland team if you didn't have one in your own county would have been Rovers I suppose and can you remember your first game? my first game would have been it was actually brought by my uncle um, it would have been uh, Pats in Richmond and um, 
I remember, I think it was State of Wales striker, Tony Bird, and he got the winner, 1-0. So, yeah, a losing start to... Here to life as a Rovers fan, games. Yeah. yeah. But I would have, like, I actually would have been, like, following the club from a distance a few years before that. Like, my introduction to the club would have been kind of like sitting down watching, do you remember Sunday Sport? Sunday Sport, S- Sunday yeah. Sport, watching the League of Ireland highlights and that, and just watching Rovers from a distance. Yeah. And what, what persuaded you to get your first set of decks? I mean, what's your musical that's quite, influence? That's, that's quite recent. Is it? Yeah, uh, I only got them last uh, July, or so, July, June or July. Like, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Like, I'm, like I'm big into music. Like, I've, I've, played the, I've played guitar since I was 11. And, again, my dad's an influence there. My dad's actually a sound engineer and played wow. a bit himself. So, it's just so I had a studio. So, I was always kind of, yeah, big into music and then... I just kind of thought, I always like put my own, not my own original material together, but mixing up different genres of music yeah. I like and putting them together. And what was your first reaction to being asked to play in the 1899 suite? Were you happy? I, I wasn't so much asked. It kind of came about, I, I suggested that we do something along these lines to Mark Lynch at the start of the season because we kind of we kinda have a proper bar facility now. And I kind of thought, like I was talking people about doing something like this for years saying like, this will go down really well a lot of Rovers fans are big into their music and there's kind of there happens, to be, hand, ha- happens to be a, a really big crossover between the kind of music I'm into and what a lot of Rovers heads are into so I kind of thought it would work well if we had something like this and uh, from there I suggested it and Mark kind of just said would I, would I do something myself you were happy enough to go ahead with that? Uh, at the start, I was a bit kind of apprehensive. But yeah. I wanted to do it, but I kind of didn't think I'd be up to it. But anyway, like I, I gave it a lash, and I hope it's gone all right so far. Well, like, the two lads, anyway, beside me, I, I, I said it to Gary and Dan. So, um, you know, I'd have two experienced heads beside me. And if I completely flunked, we'd have them anyway. Yeah. The main thing for me was getting that we'd have something of this nature going. And um, I mean, we're spoiled for choice as as it is now at the moment with food and the, the match experience. Yeah. Is there anything that you could add yourself, or do you think could be added to the experience to to bring it on? Um, like it's it's hard to know what, what to bring it on. There's like, not it, it, it is it? like the only thing I'd say is like yeah, we have a bar facility and it's great, but there there are limitations to it. Like there's lim- limits to like how long we can stay open and and that kind of thing and limits to who we can let in like the, it's limited to members and season ticket holders yeah. who happen to get a pass so like maybe someday re- f- uh, further down the line we can build something behind nice one of the stands or maybe. something a pro- yeah a proper bar but like as it is it's great yeah. and um, give us your thoughts on Rover season so far um it's soured a little bit in the last. Just a little bit. weeks, yeah. Um, like my my opinion on our side is going forward, we're we're, we're as good as anyone else in the league. Bar Dundalk, on fairness, are a bit ahead of us. Um, but I think our own Dune this year has been individual errors, be it from goalkeepers or what happened with Finn and Bray. Like you can't you can't do like a manager can't do anything about that. If your centre midfielder decides to play it into into one of their players and slipping through and goal, yeah. you should be doing that at the other end. Um, 
there's nothing you can do about that. But yeah, it's it's individual errors and just yeah, bad game management. I think as much as anything, but we have we have as much quality as anyone else. Bar I, I still think Dundalk are. You still are think they're front runners? Ah, yeah, they're they're a fair bit of fair bit ahead of us. Yeah, and there was a bit of confusion with the name. We were calling you Jamie Headen. What what was the where was the confusion with that? Um, it's spelled H E A D O N, but it's pronounced Hayden. It's all <laughs> we've had to put up with that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about the one-all draw with Limerick. Um, we had Pico who came back in alongside Grace and Ali G. So it looked like a 3-5-2 formation with Cavo on the left. And then we Gary Shaw in for the suspended Dan Carr. Aaron Bulger had made his only sub-appearance this season, but he was in the starting lineup, so Which everyone was happy about. Yeah, everybody was. They were really happy about uh, young Aaron Bulger. What did you think of him in the middle of the well, park? Well, I, I was amazed. I was surrounded by weeks. people and I, I was... I was I loved that lad the other night. I, I thought he was pure football. Wanted to be everywhere that the ball was. And mm. great pass through the ball, great control on the ball, kept things moving, got forward, got back, went right, went left. I, I thought it was a, a fantastic... And uh, even off the ball as well, he seems to press yeah, well. So. And the people around me, I, I, I was kind of saying, why is he not being in the team? Yeah. Uh, these are all fellow uh, supporters. And they, they, they were kind of saying, I don't know. I don't know. So... I don't know what's what's. But the only thing we could take from that was is that maybe it's his leaving search here and. Yeah, well, I know his parents yeah. are very very uh, uptight about him finishing his. Right, his, well, the uh, uh, I think I absolutely, you know, once he gets that over the line, you know, I I think I think that that could possibly go away. I think so. I, as think, well. I think he's. I think he's capable. He's he's he's. Uh, and he has a little edge to him as well. Yeah. That you need. A needle there, if you're going to make tough. your way through yeah. midfield, you have to have a little edge to you. Yeah. And and I think Aaron has it. Are you going to be managing his gear at the Viva Stadium in a few years? <laughs> hopefully so. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, it'd be nice to see him running out now with an Irish international jersey on him. He's already uh, got a underage cap. I think he's the under 18s captain as well. So yeah. Um, they definitely do rate him at that. Yeah. that well, that he's level. only seventeen. Yeah, he turned eighteen and started the season, wasn't? Was that he got? You remember he got oh, egged? Yeah, yeah, in right. Portugal yeah. for his eighteenth. Right. Yeah, so right. he's literally only turned eighteen, started the season. So still a young lad. And uh, we won it up courtesy of Graham Bork. It was a long shot, another Graham Bork classic. And he, he can hit the post and hit the keeper. It was, yeah. it was a bit of luck to it. Twenty-five um, years old, yeah. Yep, and Limerick made two first half substitutions as well. I thought mm. we we played well in the first half. We we should have scored a couple of goals. In fairness, we should have had them. We should have had them put to bed in the first half. It was a pretty good first half performance. Like we were out of the traps early, made plenty of chances. I think everyone was pretty happy after the first half. I thought um, Cavo was quite good. He was whipping some excellent balls. He was back to his old self. Yeah, put some good balls. In. I think uh, it, it, we just weren't able to put them away. So we were kind of wishing Dan Kerr had been get on the end of them because they're the kind of goals he's been scoring lately. Yeah, like the, the header against Saigo, the whatever flip he called it. The, the back balls, heel, yeah, yeah. The flying back heel. Like he's yeah. that's the, that's the player he is. He will. You put the ball in the box. He's probably yeah. he's going to score. You know, eight or nine out of ten. But we, we just weren't able to get... Graham Burke was running the muck. He was. Were you, were you impressed by Graham Burke? Yeah, I was, absolutely. And I heard you saying there earlier about a bit of luck with the goal. If you don't shoot, you don't score. Exactly. And, and it was a cracking shot. He's a very talented player. It, it, yeah. it, it, it beat the keeper. You know, whether it went in off the keeper or not, it, mm. it's not an issue. Once you, he, he took his chance and he, he hit it and hit it really well. Most of his goals are like that. 
Which that's right, yeah. They're yeah, mostly long range. Too, too oh, he's, yeah. he, he doesn't do simple. <laughs> he, yeah. He just barely... Well, well I, I, I have to say, I'm in a health club where Graham uh, done a lot of his recuperation uh, and rehab. Oh, right. And it was just great to see him back out there again. Yeah. Having gone through what he went through, he worked mm. really hard to get himself back into it. No, we and, didn't know that. That's and pretty he, cool. And he done, yeah. he done really well, yeah. And I was, I, I'd say his dad now was pretty pleased. He was there the other night. I'd say he was pretty pleased about the goal. That's, hopefully so, yeah. yeah. But Garrett, when the halftime whistle went, why did I get the feeling that we weren't going to maintain that? It's just the way I felt as well. Half. I mean... Didn't make any sense, but that's it was what just I felt. A, it was a horrible sense of foreboding, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, this is... This is good. Here this we go again. Yeah, here we go mm-hmm. again. We just felt like that because there was a lot of pressure going into the game, and there was tension in the air. But the early goal really helped. Everyone calmed everyone down. It's like okay, we're going to win this yeah. three or four nil now. And even even in the second half as well, we had Gary Shaw. Gary Shaw, I don't. I, there's not much confidence there at the moment, is there? He's he's just a shadow of of his last season that he was. I mean, well, he's at his best when he has a run of games. Yeah. And even the chances That's he had his one, first start one chance I think he cut in from the so. left He was one on one Last year he'd taken it all day He had the one on one He had the cross from Ethan Boyle Where he Zipped it across Yeah Ethan Boyle was excellent Yeah Ethan games. Boyle had a good game But it's just not happening For Shawzi at the minute And It's it's something That, that we, we did Live to regret So One fan said uh, Maybe the injury Is still in his mind from Possibly, Bray. yeah. He got a horrific injury out on Bray where he broke the upper part of his arm here wow. and he had to have an operation and there was nerve damage, there was everything. So he that, mm. he said that was the worst night of his life. Mm. So he stuck up, he's still in the back of his mind, you know. He mentioned the two Limerick subs. The first one was Connor Clifford. He yep. was injured. And, and it, it looked like it was going, things were going our way because they were forced yeah. into two subs and we thought, right, they've only well, one sub left. I, I, I was amazed to see him coming off. Like he had put himself around a fair bit. Yeah. Mm. He wore number 12, didn't he? That's him. Yeah, That's yeah. Him, yeah. he was putting himself around. Mm. Uh, He's a point to prove, he does. Yeah. That's what he feels. I was yeah. listening to an interview with him on, I think it was League of Run Weekly or one of the other podcasts and he he's really has a point to prove. He's only back from a six-month ban mm. and he was mm. the he was the next big thing. Mm. I think he was in a squad. I think He would have been in one of He would have been in one or two uh, trap squads. squads, yeah. So yeah. he has really has a point to prove mm. and um, it was unfortunate for him to come off. The second sub was it was a tactical move, wasn't it? It was to counteract our formation. I think so, yeah, because mm. we were getting on top. And um, yeah, so the Limerick chances early in the second half, prof. Yeah, Morrissey had a free header from six yards, but he headed his trade to Horgan. Yeah, we got away with that one. Uh, Duggan missed one too. As I was walking back, from I the thought bar, he was quite good. Number yeah. eight for them. Yeah, he was. He's he's a good dribbler. He can pass well. I'm surprised he's still with them. He's with them a long time. I was walking behind the goal just as he missed. And then a Roberts fan was giving him dog's abuse oh, yeah? after he missed that. Oh, God. And it was so loud he heard it. He turned around and he was looking <laughs> at him like... And Gary proved that you can watch a game from the East End, walk to the West End, go into the bar, and walk back and see the game. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Gary Parsons here cannot do that. What Every that? home game this season, he leaves for the bar at halftime, walks around... And then I never see him again. Uh, I like. Do you know what? Because most of the time, I, I like. I, I'm at the bar. I come out for a second half, and I'm looking over. I'm like, do you know what? I'll sit here. I'll just watch Brad's. I'll see how he gets on. I like seeing what the what the management do during games as well now, and seeing how they operate and and things like that. Even even another thing as well. Have you noticed those gels that the players yes. eat nowadays yeah, as well? Yeah. Like all those little things that you you'd miss from the East End. Like you'd see like Darren Dillon telling somebody, "Listen, you get out there and warm up." 
here's a gel, eat that, and like they'll see what they're if they are eating. Like there might be a couple of bananas on the on the bench, and they're eating those as well. It's it's interesting to see what goes on that side because we we rarely see it in the east end. The the equaliser, I think Pico was done for that. Was he was he torn? And Morrissey, it, it looked like Horgan went through his hands as well, but. The ball was playing to the striker. He tore in the centre half and beat him for pace. And then he, it was, it, it looked like a good finish from where I was. But it, it was a good finish, yeah. Yeah, and uh, 90, 90 minutes straight red for Limerick as well, and it didn't help either. We we just couldn't break them down. That was a nasty challenge. Yeah. On um, Aaron Bulger for the red card. Did you catch that one? But uh, as Maloney said, there was a certain inevitability. About that equaliser, the, the whole second half I felt like that because we just didn't we didn't turn up. I mean, fair enough, we had one or two chances, but we just didn't turn up for the second half. And it was actually scary the similarities between that game and the one against Limerick in April of last year. Do you remember Tulsi got the last the, Ogbeni, Ogbeni was out wide and he yeah. squared it for Tulsi. Remember we sat back and we let them back into that game. It was scary. Yeah, same thing again. So, but we needed to win that game. We needed to win well. The silence of doubters. And we didn't, but like 14 shots on goal, 9 on target, tells a story. And we definitely we should have won have 4 chance. or 5 now. Ah, easily, especially with the, with the chances that we did miss, so we're misfiring at the minute, and a mini slump. That w- what do you think went wrong in that second half, Mick? Again, I have to be very careful about views that I might have where I'm not directly involved in anything. I, I, just, I just thought, you know... I just thought there was a bit of an imbalance in in, in the team overall. Oh yeah. From 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 the very start. I would have liked to see Graham Burke playing a little bit more forward. Uh, but that's a that's that's something that a couple know, of Rovers fans have mentioned lately yeah. is that they feel yeah. he's too deep. Yeah, but but then Stephen would if if that's because of what Stephen wants, you you you've got to respect that yeah. and say, well, look, uh, I just thought. The lad up front uh, who played, uh, uh, well, the lad who played up front, he was very good in the first half. He was getting some great knock-ons. What, what, what Shaw, was Gary Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Shaw, yeah. And he has he not played for a while? No, he has yeah. been out pretty much because Danny Carr has been in form. He scored yeah. three and three. Dan was suspended. Yeah. A little bit rusty, yeah, you could yeah, say. Yeah, he looked like he wasn't match fit, yeah. but mm-hmm. but didn't stop him now, given everything he had. He was uh, he was game. blown. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was Particularly really, in the second half. He was, yeah. yeah. I can and, notice and that. And Bork as well. But sometimes when you're up there and you're isolated and you haven't got the match fitness that you'd like to have, that can be very arduous. And it's a thankless job at time playing up yeah. on your own, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And like it's sometimes like as I would say, it don't matter if you're a soprano or a tennis player or a golfer, performance is all about confidence. No matter what you do. Yeah. And and sometimes you need to take that confidence into a game with you. And he would be he would it, if if I was he'd probably be struggling for confidence now. I mean, considering he, he hasn't played, he's not Taking his chances, so hopefully, I think if he'd played seven or eight games in a row, ah, yeah, he would have scored so. one. Then I think he would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard just being thrown in there, really, isn't it? But that's mm. how that's how it happens. That's yeah. football, isn't it? But he never stopped trying. Yeah, and that he was, was the yeah, no, he, he certainly yeah. didn't. And I think he was just pulled off out of exhaustion because mm. you could really see that. I think he, at one stage he fell into a tackle, and he nearly got himself hurt the way he landed. And he was just pulled in. He said, "Listen, he's he's dead on his feet." So he gave everything he had. But just our three subs there. It was uh, Dean Dillon came on for Shaw. That was his first appearance of the season. Yeah. Uh, Sam Bowen came on for the first time in a month. 
but he had been injured. Yeah, he injured his foot. And uh, then McAllister featured for the first time since the 6-1 win over Derry on March first 9th. Time, but that's without subs as well, not even a sub appearance. That was a sub appearance. So yeah. that's Davies. So the fans finally got to sing his tune again. Yeah. Never very seen the older so happy when he very was warming player, up there. Yeah, very yeah. popular player, Davy. And uh, I thought he would have started, in fairness. And uh, Barry McGuire played the Irish Dutchman. He made a late sub appearance. Apparently, this guy is supposed to be a cracking player, and he was on the radar of the national team for a while when he was playing in Holland. Mm. And um, I would have liked to see a bit more of him. But uh, he's only he on for a minute. Made a minute or yeah. two on. He just he got, that was just one of those subs to kind of pass time, wasn't it? And, mm. and try and see out and get the draw. But um, we talked about Aaron Bulger earlier and the poor crowd as well. People are voting with their feet at the minute. The official attendance, did we get it? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I think, I, think I, I, I would have said about 1,200. Hmm. The block M was quite sparse. And uh, Brazzer was in the 1899 bar afterwards and he had a small audience to ex- mm-hmm. pretty much just have a chat with the fans. I saw that. It's online as well, but yeah. Um. Yeah, it was kind of sad because if we won that three or four nil, you know, another hundred people at least would have been in there watching them. Because of the result, you know, it was a sparse crowd. And then we're gonna look at we're looking at probably the hardcore going up to Derry on Friday. I mean, normally the ones that would take a chance and say, "Let's go, let's follow the team." The ones who were on the fence, I, I can see them staying at home for this one. Unfortunately, we're on the Gary Twig bus. Don't forget, if you need a seat, get on to Paul O'Connell and Dan Fulham on Facebook. If you do, are looking for a seat up to Derry. Do you fancy an away trip? Yeah, I'll drink wine on the bus, mate. Sorry. <laughs> we already have someone who does that. Brend- <laughs> Brendan Fox. We do, yeah. yeah he drinks wine. Yeah. There's all sorts going on in those buses, I guess. Yeah, so we had some questions sent in for you. And Eamon wants to know, he says, the best and the worst Irish players that you've ever had to work with. Eamon Dunphy. <laughs> no, that's not what he's joking. The, the best and the and the worst players in terms of what? What's what do you reckon he means? But maybe he meant as a kid, man. I know you don't want to say worst well, you worked. Well, I can't. Yeah, and, no, and I wouldn't yeah. because if I ever lose the trust mm. of a True. player, don't mind the yeah. players. If I ever lose the trust of a player, I might as well go home. Yeah. So it's that sort of a job. You've never spotted suppose, a pair of ladies' underwear in anyone's bag or anything like that, or anyone has a fetish. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he has a story here, he's not telling us. <laughs> I suppose if we could twist the question a bit, who have you struck up a bit of a friendship with, maybe? All the players. You have, yeah. you have I swear, uh, you cannot. There's, there's great crack, is that? Obviously, there are some players who will share with you a little bit more. Uh, it's all based on trust. Hmm. Uh, but generally... Uh, both Dick and I have to get on with all the players and, and make sure that they're happy about what's happening And, and uh, but the trust is the single most important thing mm. that you have and, and if you ever betray that trust uh, that's it go home yeah, yeah. Go it home. creates tension then wouldn't it and uh, Eamon asks another question he says what do you think of the tendency for teams to play one up top in this era of football I absolutely hate it yeah I, you love a four four with, too, with a you? passion. I, I I often describe the one up front as having a short blanket on your bed. You oh yeah, it, your you feet sticking out. Your feet and your head gets cold. You pull it above your head and your feet get. <laughs> and I don't mind one up front. And I, I know there's all sorts of uh, formations now that different managers uh, try uh, until they find a, a trusted way uh, that suits the majority of the players. 
but I, I I just feel if if one player is going to play up front, he needs so much support. I rarely see if there's one if they're playing one up front. I rarely see anybody running past the centre forward from yeah. midfield trying to get in on goal. It's, That's essentially what should be happening, isn't it? Though yeah, it's it's if you if you want a major possession of the ball, and and you want to play five across the middle, be sure that at least two of your midfield players are going to be bursting forward, bursting yeah. a gut to get up there in support. Otherwise, you know... It's fruitless, isn't it? The, yeah, the, I completely the, agree the, with you. The other defence have, have a, a field day. And uh, then we have one from Mick Conroy. He says, where did you get the nickname Loopy Lawler? Loopy Lawler. During your Rovers days. I, 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 I don't know if it was looping the ball over the opposition <laughs> keepers. I don't know if that's what happened there. <laughs> So, say so your dad, he was also an Ireland international. He began his career with Rovers in the 40s. That's and he said, Your two brothers, Robbie and Martin, also played for Rovers. And yeah. your uncle, Jimmy Lawler, also played for the Hoops. Mm. And uh, this was actually a question. So, who was the dirtier player, Robbie or Martin? <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, I heard you liked a couple of elbows during your day. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can get too much attention from opposition, and you have to be able to kind of protect yourself and but I, I Martin was a very forceful uh, type yeah. of player very forceful and uh, I'll always remember playing in a European Cup match we played against Celtic actually uh, home and away in 1979 and we played them in a return match we were to get a 3-2 result over in Parkhead and we played them in Dundalk and a white hot atmosphere and I remember was that uh, the 1-0 loss uh, where in, uh, in, in, in no, we, we drew 0-0 oh, yeah. where a 1-0 result would have got us yeah. into the next round Jeez. would have gone through and away goes and Celtic yeah. drew uh, Real Madrid Real Madrid in the next yeah. round yeah but what happened was we we, uh, we got a corner and they had a big Icelandic uh, Evelston or something was his name and right. he headed the ball and I was on the edge of the box and it just went over my head and when I turned around, there was a lad called Mordo McLeod got on the ball. <laughs> he heard of him right. And Mordo, I watched him, and it was kind of a cold uh, evening, and uh, my eyes water a little bit, uh, but I was able to see his backside disappearing and skipping over a few tackles. And then out of the mist came this lumbering tackle from Martin Lawler, and he stood. Boom. I hope you heard that. <laughs> and then he caught... Mortimer McLeod up around the throat and it was like on a cartoon when you see somebody hitting a wall and they go do 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 backward he was about five minutes falling down <laughs> and I looked over at the Celtic and there was Billy McNeil and John Clark head and hands. head down oh my god and the crowd started <laughs> so anyway every person that went over to Mordo to say what's wrong with you Mordo where's it hurting you <laughs> He couldn't. He couldn't talk from the So anyway, this was the referee came over. Yard right border. Anyway, about three weeks later, the phone rang and it's Jim McLaughlin. I was Jim's assistant at the time. He said, "Mick, where are you?" I said, "I'm down at the Crofton Airport Hotel, and uh, I'm waiting for the players. I'm going to take them up for the game." He said, "Mick, would you mind leaving them? I'll get one of the directors to pick." I want you to go into the Gresham and pick up Billy McNeil and John Clark. So I went in and I picked them up, had a nice cup of tea, and up the road up to uh, 
up to Dundalk. But we're somewhere up around the Balrodri Straits. This is before the M1 had opened right. up and things like that. And I remembered Mordo. And I said, Billy, how's Mordo? What the fuck? He says he's back in training, but he's still getting speech therapy. <laughs> it was that bad. <laughs> back training and all. And then we have one from Bobby Best, who you know well. Ah, and uh, he said, ask Mick about Frank O'Neill's great ability to get to the end line and always look to pick out a player in the box for his cross. He said he just didn't ping the ball in. He always looked up. And he said Mick was a dynamic box-to-box man and he wouldn't have been renowned as a header of the ball. He said benefit from O'Neill after picking him out and he managed to uh, score quite a few headers as a result. He says this is a subject he discussed with you recently. Yeah, he he wasn't well for a long time, Bobby. Uh, and somebody told me, so I, I had us over, so I gave him a ring, and we had a good chat. He was there uh, on Friday night, um, but uh, yeah, I, I spoke to him, and we were talking about players from the year I played in, and he asked me who I thought was probably, uh, and he was Frank O'Neill was the best League of Ireland player. That I ever played with. Really? Yeah. And he had this fantastic ability. He was a right winger. Absolutely out and out right winger. He could bring a ball up to a full back. He could stop. Right. And I won't say mesmerise the full back. But as soon as the full back thought he had a chance of getting the ball. Frank's toe just poked the ball by him. And he was gone. And you couldn't catch Frank. Once he'd gone past the full back. You couldn't catch him. But the last thing Frank O'Neill always done before he crossed the ball, was he looked up and he tried to pick somebody out. I'm on, I'm on a lot of uh, school-by-game uh, sidelines uh, right. in, in recent uh, times. And every time somebody gets into a crossing position, I hear this chant going up, whip it in, whip it yeah. in. Frank O'Neill always looked, which is the right way to do it, always looked to pick out somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... He was he was fantastic. I, I I over the years I've had to. I won't say fend off people, but Frank had his critics, because Frank, if there was a fifty fifty, it might turn into a sixty forty in favour of the defender because right. Frank wouldn't risk an awful lot of injuries right. like that. But some people used to put that down to cowardice, and it was the furthest thing from cowardice that Frank O'Neill wasn't that type of guy now. Because I've seen Frank O'Neill get on the ball. And suffer the most horrendous, evil, malicious tackles imaginable. But he stayed on the ball. Yeah. And that's the real courage. Not going in to break somebody up. Once he got on the ball, he, he, he suffered horrendous tackles. But he was brave enough to stay on the ball and do his business. Just kept playing football. Some, didn't people, dive some people used to call him all sorts of names. But I remember arguing with this guy one day. And I was saying... Look, what's your problem with Frank O'Neill? He played 23 times or something for Ireland as a League of Ireland player. I mean, you know, who's going to pick him if he's not a good player? It's a record, I think. I said, what's your problem with him? He said, my problem is he keeps beating the full back the same way every time. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, that'll do me. (laughs) So, yeah, great player, Frank. So that gets you nervous. People, like, you do hear a lot of people saying, get it into the box. Yeah. But it's no use if you can't pick a player on your own team. So it's, it's more like, probably like a percentages game, is it? Yeah. Well, well, if you if you just whip a ball in, it gives everybody a chance of getting onto it. It's where, immediately. Where 50, if you 50, try and it? pick somebody out, it gives that person a chance of getting to it before the defender does. Mm-hmm. And, and Frank was uh, deadly accurate. 
and he would have played with two of the greatest headers of a football. I know, I know, I know, I know. Liam Buckley came later, but but uh, Jackie Mooney in in, in the uh, mid to late sixties, and uh, Bobby Gilbert, who I played with, and uh, Bobby was an amazing uh, header of a ball. What a, what a player! Great. Some people consider and him the best header of a ball. Yeah, of but, but he had a great provider in Frank O'Neill. Yeah, and and I know it brought great joy to an awful lot of Shamrock Rovers supporters in my in my time there. Was Frank O'Neill crossing the ball and Bobby Gilbert either scoring or setting up Mick Leach on myself? Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I Frank O'Neill. I mean, the number of goals I scored from Frank, and I was only a little short arse, but <laughs> but but he was so accurate w- with his crosses that it meant you just had to head them home. Yeah, you just he, had to he know just bump into them. Yeah, bump into, into them, them. And, and he was he was wonderful. What do you think about um, like back then? It was a it was a real man's game. What, what what do you think? How do you think the game has progressed as regards to players kind of feigning injury and and going down quite a lot well, easier than, than yeah. they would have years ago? Well, well, I I think I I I think I think uh, the game has changed. There's no question or doubt about that. Or the laws of the game has changed. Like I would say that nowadays, it's very difficult to get away with a tackle from the back or the front. Or decide, it's it it is heading toward what I think is a non-contact sport. Which would be a, this would be horrible. It would be absolutely dreadful. But some people think that that's no harm. You know that you know, and that it would allow uh, the real football players to to get on about their business without getting tackled or without getting no. kicked or or. But be a sad day for football if that yeah, ever happened. Yeah, I think I think you're dead right. I think there has to be an element of 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 dispute and possession properly. As long as you're tackling properly and making contact with Personally, the ball. Personally, I love a good, a good tackle. Like, if, fair enough, get the ball on the man. That's no problem. But that's that that roils up a crowd. If, you, if like a Davy Mack tackle, if he tackles a guy and gets the ball, and the man just happens to ground as well, and it gets the crowd going, gets the rest of the team going as well. You know, a good, a good hard, strong tackle. There was and a tackle that went viral actually. You know, Ryan McBride, Ryan McBride, who sadly passed away last year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when the news came out, a tackle that I think he made against Cork, where he took out two Cork players mm. and won the ball cleanly, sent yeah. them flying, mm. and the referee booked him. Yeah, I remember that. Like he I won remember the ball. that was just yeah. shocking stuff. But but look, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's difficult for referees as well, you know. But I I think FIFA can play a huge role in, in doing away with... Like, there's two aspects of, of, of what I don't like is happening in the game. And, and one of them is, and there was a clear demonstration of it in, in one of the games uh, the other evening where the, the defender grabs the forward who's trying to get to the ball and he just brings him down and nothing happens, right? Now, the other aspect of what I don't like a centre forward chasing the ball towards the end line and the defender goes in front of him and just does everything to stop him getting to the ball. Now, when I was playing, there was a, a rule called the obstruction rule. Right. Where's that gone now? And what I think what FIFA need to do is to give referees the discretion to, to decide whether that centre half or full back or wherever he is who is stopping a fella the fella's honest attempt to get to the ball before it goes out over the end line okay, yeah. mm. to give them the referees the discretion to say well I don't think that defender had any intention of playing that ball so I'm going to give free in for obstruction what would happen 
overnight, managers would say, cut that out, don't be giving away free Very kicks. true, yeah. Now, FIFA couldn't do that. Now, why they haven't done that, I don't know. Give the referees discretion to decide. And the same with this business of holding players in the box. There's a lot of that, Can you it? imagine what would happen if FIFA said, right, referees, first time you see that, send them straight off. Penalties. You overnight, know, yeah. overnight mm. what would happen? Yeah, managers well, would drill it into their players and say, don't Absolutely. do that. So why do FIFA not act on that? Mm. I think it's, a, it's, it's not really high on their priorities, to be honest, I'd say. I mean, look look, look, look what's going on with VAR now as well. It's They're still on the fence about that and it's it's a bit of a shambles when they brought it in as well. So I don't think they're going to be looking at the obstruction rule or anything like that anytime soon. I think there's mm. other things on their list and their agenda, you know. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But in our time, when I was playing, Hundred years ago, <laughs> nobody put their no defenders put their arm around you. No, 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 no. They might hit you a good box, but they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't put their arm no, around you. All right. <laughs> and we have Peter Fitzpatrick, long time hoop. He said the nineteen sixty eight cup final versus Waterford is a fantastic highlight of mine, and Mick played a big part in that game. He said, "Ask Mick about the games he and ex hoop like uh, Frank O'Neill played on the beach in Dollymount." Oh, and do they still meet up regularly? My goodness. Yeah, well, well we still interested meet, in this one. We, we, we still, well, at one time there was about eight or nine uh, Rovers ex Rovers players that used to meet in the in the yacht half six to half eight on a Saturday. Still a Rovers stronghold now. The yacht, isn't it? Well, it's still happening, and it's it's forty nine years or no, it's forty. It's about fifty two years going now, but where it all started was a group of Rovers players and some friends went down to the beach in Dollymount on a Saturday and we get the litter bins we get two litter bins this end two litter bins that end and we'd get a, a stick and we'd mark out a pitch not even jumpers for goalposts <laughs> and there would be blood and snots all over the place <laughs> now, and you're talking about playing a day before you played in the League of Ireland that was your warm up that was your warm-up. No and, blood, no foul. And, and my God, there were some uh, terrific games and, and some very, very good players, uh, obviously. And even when sometimes when it got dark, we'd jump into the cars and we'd turn and we'd put on the lights. Oh, so there's your floodlights. And we had floodlights. <laughs> <That's just> genius. <laughs> what innovation. <laughs> but yeah, there were great, great, great times. But that's because you loved playing and play, um, playing football played such a huge part in your life. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just like I, 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 I was talking to somebody recently and I was, when I was on the pitch, I could run, I could I could get around the pitch, I right. could run for Ireland. And But it's only when you get a little bit older and you get a bit wiser and you, you understand, like I, I know now that I used football as a form of exercising all my demons, all my frustrations in yeah. life. You know, and that's why I always say today, particularly in the modern world, if your children take the sport as a parent, you're very fortunate. Very fortunate. Well, yeah. what's out there today? If your children take the sport, you know, so much there for them, isn't it's it? Fa- it's fantastic. And um, uh, the nineteen seventy seventy one season, I think that's the one where we lost the title in the playoff. But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he I think got a hat trick that day, did he? Or was it? Yeah, I hadn't written it down, but yeah, yeah. But you were you were dropped for a league game away to Waterford that season, Is and that right? then there was a verbal altercation with Frank O'Neill, who was the manager at the time, and then you were suspended from the squad. No, that, no. I have absolutely no memory of that at all. I was in Robert Goggins. 
uh, history book well I don't know where Robert got that I, I'd love to know yeah. okay. wh- where it has its uh, foundation or whatever but I thought, I thought Frank O'Neill was an excellent manager he, he was uh, very intelligent on the game hmm. and I like Frank and I've been a friend yeah. for most of my life uh, I don't I don't remember that uh, okay that's an altercation I but, uh, so, yeah. I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, I think uh, the journalists are presenting Frank with some award in the uh, in the Jury's uh, Pro oh, Park good. Hotel on Tuesday and uh, there'll be lots of former players there and uh, just descends into a big I, drink a big I, session does it well I'd certainly take issue with Frank O'Neill about that argument we were supposed to have had <laughs> <laughs> and just going back to the beaches and Dollymount is there ever any players that were just absolutely amazing and trained and just never could have made the step up to let's say is there a player that you saw that could have played at absolutely. so many so a- higher levels absolutely lots and yeah. lots and lots uh, too numerous to mention uh, you know skill has to be supplemented by some other feature which you can marry marry it into yeah. your, your your and some some lads have fantastic ability they might not they might not have the desire work ethic or something well, well the work ethic would come from desire mm. and they might not have that desire yeah. and the point I make is that particularly if we're talking about young players today that each successive generation of parents try to make their children's lives a little bit easier a little bit more comfortable yeah. give them what they want when they ask for it but when that happens, you take a little edge away from the children. You take that little bit of hunger. That is my belief, and that's the way. That's my concept of why fellow lads with ability don't actually get to the level that they, yeah, you know, that they don't aspire to it enough. They don't. They don't have that desire in here. That's you think that stems to, from an early age. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I do. I do. And uh, we'll talk about the famous Rovers team that you could say went into decline in the 70s. What, they, they were quite bleak. What do you think happened? Do you think that was the, the last defeat in well, the cup final a, well, an attribute there? No. I, 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 call it, I call these things evolution because yeah. what, what happens is people like the Cunninghams who let the manager manage the team and... Uh, and even at that, like when I think back, uh, when I was only fifteen, and and and, and Liam Tilly and Paddy Ambrose, Lord rest them both, uh, asked me to uh, come out to Shamrock Rovers. I had just come back from uh, Manchester United, a trial with Manchester United. I hate the word trial, by the way. Oh yeah. But I went away with Don Givens, and uh, and I came home. I have to say, I was absolutely delighted to be going home. <laughs> but you didn't enjoy the trial. I, I just, I just was a homesick. I just yeah. couldn't, you know. I, I always remember going to Leeds when I was fifteen on trial, and after four days, I went into a lovely man, uh, a man called uh, Morris Lindley. Johnny Giles would remember him well. He was secretary at the club at the time, and I pleaded with him. 
to buy a ticket for to get me home that yeah. day that day and I, I broke down uh, emotionally I broke down in front of him I, I was just so home still a child in fairness I mean well, it's, y- yeah, it's the case with a lot of these guys that go abroad now as well I mean if I think Mark Kenny from the FAI did a, a did a survey recently and I think 90% of the kids come home after their, their I don't think they have ITS anymore whatever they call it now but yeah. uh, they're home after three years yeah there, there, there's there's a ridiculous statistic and I say ridiculous it's ridiculously true that only point not not four percent of children who go away uh, when they're very young actually stay and have any sort of a career yeah. uh, very few and far between aren't they no it is it is a lucrative career for a lot of guys who and this comes back to this determination and this desire that, that I often talk about that you don't have to have messy type skills what you need is that determination and will and desire to be a footballer do you want to be a footballer show me yeah and and and, and that's what you see a lot of these lads go away when they're young probably too young sometimes they probably think they've made it as well, well once, once probably, you go that's the easy part for me if you get, once you get signed at 15 or 16 that's the easy part yeah. And if you look, if you play DDSL or you watch DDSL, that's that's extremely hard to do, to get yourself signed and 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 linked up with an English club. That's a very very hard thing to do, and these guys might just think, oh, I've done it now. I've I've signed for an English club. That's me away, mm. and mm. everything's gonna be great. Well, I'm a strong believer that any I I call them children that go away need protection. From what's out there, like there's a, a there's a legend that one of the great legends of our time, Bill Shankly, not your time but my time, who was a wonderful uh, manager of the Liverpool Football Club for years and years, didn't know where the treatment room was. In, in he, he 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 used to profess that he never knew where the treatment room was. He had no interest whatsoever now this is could be fable but this is what my understanding of it was yeah. that he didn't know where the treatment room was he wasn't interested when the player was injured and what happens with some young, young lads who go away if they've nobody to protect their interests they get injured mm-hmm. the clubs a lot of the clubs don't really have a great interest in when a young lad gets injured they're in digs or in somebody yeah, else. Could you story. imagine being 17 and having a bad injury and then nobody really caring for you and, and then you're thinking in your own head, which is what's next? But like, here's the critical yeah. issue. You can't do the thing that you love doing most in your life and yeah. that is playing. So you're just sitting around wasting time pretty much. So any <clears throat> young kid going away like that needs the protection of somebody, you know, to look after their interest that if they're injured follow up on it do you think that's lacking now I I, I think it has done over the years and and I I think it's something that you know if parents are allowing their children to go away to make sure that they have somebody that's going to look after their interest when when they're away and like you said they are children essentially absolutely 15 years of age it is very young absolutely well I think the age limit now for children going away it it used to be 14 and then it's 16 and I think now there's some moves now to get it uh, changed to 18 what's happened with these elite leagues that 
clubs are taking part in now and linking up with League of Ireland clubs. It's it's probably the nearest thing to academy football that these young lads will get now if they're linked to a League of Ireland right. club, which is a great thing. But the better end of it is that the children can finish their education um, mm. and they can do their leaving cert. And once that's across the line... I think it's essential. And if they want to go away... That's actually happening in Shamrock Rovers now. We have 15-year-olds yeah. who are going to school, making sure they get their education. The Rovers are putting them through I, college as well. I love, I love, I love the way uh, Shamrock Rovers are operating now and the way St. Pat's are operating now and various clubs where, you know, there's the nearest thing to academy football and there are great people in these academies and looking after them and making sure they're doing the right things like their strength and conditioning and their diet is right and all this sort of thing. I think... I think things are going to improve an awful lot now at underage level. It seems, yeah, it's. I, I really do agree with yeah. that because even as I, I'm not, I'm I'm 29 now and I played DDSL. All the League of Ireland clubs were quite poor. Mm. Bar shells, I think shells were really good, but anybody else it was the Archers, the Kevins, Joey's. All those were the excellent teams in the league. Like we we were we were poor. We were Pats. We were poor. Rovers were poor. Uh, Bowes never really had a team in the league, you know. It's mm. it, it shows you the progression that mm-hmm. it, it's about time. It really is about time that all the league of Ireland clubs have gotten their academy up to scratch because mm. it's something that's it's it's badly needed for the league. And it's it's great to see even Cork now as well. They've got Bishopstown. We have the Roadstone. I'm, I'm not sure about anybody else working the way we are at the moment, but it's 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 excellent to see. Have you been to the Roadstone? Yes, I have. It's, yeah. it's a great setup, isn't oh, it? It's fantastic. It's brilliant and, to and see. Isn't great it? people there. You know, like apart from Stephen, the, 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 the Shane Robinson and, and Stephen uh, McPhail and the, 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 this young fellow, what's his name, Damien Duff. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> it rings a bell. Yeah, Gary's nervous. He seems quite intense. Was he as a player? Was he uh, always intense on the field and 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 focused? Because he seems really focused with the fifteens. Who Damien? Yeah, he seems really yeah, like he's up at uh, seven uh, in the morning, my, having no training. Well, you know, five in the morning. Five in the morning. Yeah. Well, my my recollection of Damien when he was with the squads, like Damien had an interest in, in what he was doing and he had a great passion. Uh, and from what I know, he he used to go to to our uh, he used to go to our video analyst of the time if he was playing a match uh, an international game, and he'd go to the video analyst who would always have information on the opposition, right. and he would ask. To see, you know, who am I going to be? Gives a look at their fullback. Gives yeah. a look at them. Mm. See, see what what way he operates. You know, which, I mean, that's rare. Yeah, it is. That's that's that, that's who, cool, isn't it? You know, sign of a potential coach, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us about uh, nineteen seventy three. Three replays in three days. With that long time, I couldn't believe that. Never forget it. Never three forget games that. in three yeah, days. Yeah. Imagine and two of them went extra time, gear. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the FBI just said, "No, we have to get this game out of the way." <laughs> Legs hanging off. <laughs> we, we, what did we, we 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 beat them eventually, didn't we? Yeah. What, what, what was it? Can you remember the result of the third game? Uh, no. Was it three one? I think maybe three one. Yeah, yeah. But Mick Leach said he he got members getting off the train and he couldn't walk. Yeah. He could barely get out of bed that day. Like, how tired yeah. were you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, now I've done an awful lot more running than Mick Leach. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
So, no, it was, it was just something that you had to do. And, and the only other thing was uh, the opposition were going through the same phase uh, mm. that you were going through. So, mm. But it was just an extraordinary decision. Now you have to play three games. And, you know, three and at games. the time, were you thinking this is nuts? Or did you say, yeah, let's, get, let's get on well, with it? You you couldn't uh, you couldn't argue in those days. You just had to do what, yeah. what you know. If the FAI decided you have to have this game and and get it out of the way, and uh, maybe there was critical pressure on the FAI at the time to get the fixture out of the way. But but mm. it was an extraordinary. I don't think it's happened since, and I don't think it happened before that either. Yeah. I think it was a one. Probably a once off. I can't see that yeah. have happened again. I and there was it. in the eighties. I think there was a semi final that went to three replays. Not the, in such a short space. The 1880s. Cup Ramblers. But oh, um, right, yeah. I think yeah. was it uh, might be getting around, but I think it was was it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Limerick away on the Sunday. Yeah, we got beaten one nothing by Limerick. But I always remember Liam Tui coming in after that match, and he said, "You know what? What, what did he say? Something to the effect that that." Uh, the spirit was willing, but the body was weak or whatever, you know, and uh, and that's yeah. exactly what happened to us. We we couldn't wag on the pitch that day. We couldn't wag. It was just yeah. But after playing three nights in a row, and then you're playing on the, on the on the Sunday, it's very very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, you won the double with Dundalk in 1979 under Jim McLaughlin, and yeah. went on to work with him as assistant manager. Yeah. Can you compare Liam Tui and Jim McLaughlin in different styles? What type of their styles of management? Well, uh, no, they were, they were they were they were both great people, persons. You know, of Liam Tui. Uh, I mean, I I grew up in East Wall, where Liam was legendary at the time when I was growing up. In fact, Liam Liam ended up when he got married to Sheila Lord Rest her as well. They lived in 24 Ravensdale Road. We lived in 23. Yeah. And Liam tells a great story about the 1957 Cup final. He was playing with Shamrock Rovers. Your dad played in that? And my dad played yeah. in that. They were, they were outrageous favourites, Rovers. Yeah. But my dad was very close to a place called the Wharf Tavern. And uh, the night before the match... Liam tells a story that he was just had to finish a cup of tea and a few biscuits and he was heading up the stairs and next of all, ding dong, the door. And he opened the door and there was Kit Lauder with what Liam said was a smirk on his face and, uh, you know, and he concluded straight away that, that Kit had had a few drinks. <laughs> so Kit just said, oh, we just want to wish you all the best, Liam, for tomorrow. And he turned and he walked over to his house and Liam tell us the story that he went into the Rovers dressing room the next day because Kit would have been the kingpin of the drum contra team at the time and mm. they had some great players but Kit was important to the drum contra team so Liam went into the Rovers dressing room and he think we're all right today lads Kit had a skinful on him <laughs> <laughs> and as Liam said it was the best game that he ever saw Kit Lawler playing <laughs> and they beat Rovers 2-0 the mind games and they, eh? and they yeah. beat Rovers 2-0 so that was a great memory and it was nice of Liam to say that you know and then we had Jason Maloney one of our uh, regular contributors on the show he said how close was Tommy McConville to scoring uh, to knock Celtic out of the Euro- Europe on away goals in 1979 and uh, what yeah. was it like scoring a parkhead well in the first leg yeah we, we, we well I, I was just coming back from I think I was out for a month uh, before the Celtic game, uh, I actually 
went on to the pitch uh, and Terry Daly uh, came off and I went on and I had a, a, a big strapping on my knee uh, just to protect and, and so on because I'd had a knee injury and I'll always remember Jim, Jim McLaughlin spent about 20 minutes of his team talk which is a long 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 time for him to be up there stand up there talking and it, it was all about not giving away an early goal right so we all went out determined and we were 2-0 down after 11 minutes <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> immediately after them getting their second goal we had a great move down the right hand side and Jimmy Dainty crossed the ball to one of one of the great headers of a football was Cattle Muckian and Cahill buried it, uh, brought us back to 2-1. And then uh, they went to 3-1. But we probably would have felt 3-1 not too bad against Parkhead. I mean, it was it was such a wonderful occasion. It was the old Parkhead and, and there was 46,000 people at it. And, and an it was hour, a bit of a love-in, uh, was it? Was well, it? an hour before the game, they, they, they were singing all the old Irish uh, ballads and all that, yeah. and the rebel songs, and, and what an atmosphere. It was, it was, it was just uh, magic. So, and then I, I came on for Terry, and luckily enough... Uh, Tell us about the golf. Uh, well, I was asked uh, by, by uh, Lord Reston again, Enda McGuill, uh, a director of our club, he asked me to describe the goal after the game. And... I was able to tell him that I, I played a 1-2 with uh, Leo Flanagan, Pop, as he was known then. Right. Great, very, very good uh, midfield player. And I made a run forward and the back four stepped out. But the way he lobbed the ball, I got onto it and I was somehow, I was onside. True but I was, about, I was about 40 yards out. And there was a lad called uh, Latchford playing a goal for them. His brother was a lad called Bob Latchford. I think he had a great career with uh, with Everton and, and so on. Right. But for some reason, he ran straight out at me. So I just hit it. And it, it took about five minutes to go into the yeah. <laughs> But in it went, which meant 3-2. It mm. gave us a great chance in the replay. And to come back to your original question, we played really well that night. Uh, and Tommy McConville had a chance that normally he was a cool customer, Tommy, Lord rest him. Just late uh, in the game. He, this, this was, yeah, it would have been at a time where it would have made it very difficult for Celtic to mm. come back and and uh, and he missed it. And it was a wonderful chance uh, and, and it would have got us through to the next round, to the quarterfinal of the European it's Cup. It's unthinkable now, but you're you're on the brink of the European Cup quarterfinals. Yeah. I mean, how many rounds are we now from... The first qualifying round to the quarters. I mean, yeah. was it like yeah. fifteen games away or something? It was. It was. We hit the bar, if you like, or we hit the hit the post uh, in terms of trying to qualify, but it didn't quite happen for us. Did you enjoy all the European trips? I loved them. Yeah, yeah I think that the lifeblood. And when when I think back, and I think about Tommy McConville, it was a great lad, uh, but Tommy kind of found League of Ireland. A little bit laborious for him and Tommy used to come alive in the European Cup nights because he was a class player yeah and he loved playing at that just level stepped and, up. That, and that was the only thing that excited Tommy and, and got mm. him kind of you know mm. uh, that he was really up for it uh, it was very unusual because he was a really really good player a very talented lad Tommy he spent one or two seasons with Roberts I think too. he did yeah. he did eventually yeah yeah, yeah. 
And um, shortly after Celtic, he wrote a game for a year with an injury. Yeah. How did you cope with that? Yeah, not easily. Was it a bad one? Not easily. Uh, I had a dog at home that used to get kicked in there. No, I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. But, but I'm just trying to describe the frustration that you suffer when you're a young book and, and you, all you want to do is play football and you can't. It's it's not funny, you know. It's it's. Uh, but I enjoyed my time with Dundalk. I, I, I played for six years there. Uh, and in, in essence, Jim saved... I won't say he saved my career because when I was in Milltown 73, 74 and uh, the Kilcoynes had taken over uh, Shamrock Rovers and uh, I, did, I didn't enjoy... Uh, now, I liked Louis. I, I, I had a good time from... Uh, Barton and Paddy were fine, but they, they just weren't real football people. Which is... They, they, they weren't, weren't a lot real, of people do feel like that, They yeah. weren't real football people. And I think it was the beginning of the end because I, I think they forced a situation where... I believe that they forced a situation where Liam Tuohy and, and uh, Paddy Ambrose were so close together. And Paddy Ambrose was one of the nature's gentlemen. He was a wonderful man. I loved him. And he, my mentor. And uh, so... So what a man to be your mentor! Uh, Hundred and nine goals uh, for overs. So so uh, I think what they wanted to do was sack Paddy, and and that inevitably meant that Liam, in principle, had to had to resign yeah. as manager of the club. Uh, so when they came in, they pretty much said, "This is how we want to go. We want to yes, go in this direction." Yeah, that was yeah. Liam's second spell as manager, wasn't it? It was. He had gone to Dundalk. Yes. At the end of the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> And he came back again. Yeah, he was had an ice cream business, I think, wasn't it? Well, he yeah. he was he was uh, in in sales, and uh, I I think he he might have been in in the director of sales or whatever in HB Isis at the time, hmm. along with another great Shamrock Rover stalwart, Shay Kyo. Uh, so uh, that was Liam's work. But him and him and Paddy Ambrose uh, were were. Like they were so good together, but they were so opposite to each other that it really? worked. It worked, yeah. yeah. And I say they were so opposite. I mean, they they had a great affinity for each other, but uh, and I hope uh, Pam Ambrose, uh, his wife, won't mind me saying uh, that when Paddy got really ill, uh, and. Uh, the house was private for a, a month or so, and and, but I got a phone call one day from Pam, uh, uh, Paddy's wife, lovely, lovely woman. I, I love her, uh, and I know she won't mind me saying this, but Paddy was terminal, and it was he didn't have long to go, and he was kind of all jaundiced and all this, and and, so anyway, I got a phone call from Pam to say, Michael, Paddy wants to see you and Liam. Do you think you could pick up Liam? And I said yes. And I just I'm only telling this story to illustrate the connection between Liam Tilly and Paddy Ambrose right. in terms of what they could say to each other and, and mm. how close they were and a great bond between the two of them. So Paddy, as I said, had this jaundice look and but it was the time of Saipan. Okay. And if you were in Saipan, all the people in Saipan looked, right. they, you know, they had this yellow kind of uh, light yellow colour. And so Pam showed us up the stairs into Paddy and I was just ahead of Liam and I walked in and Paddy was on the bed, laid out, immaculate and rosary beads and hands. 
and he couldn't even turn his head, so he just turned his eyes to see us coming in. And I was about to say something really silly, like, how are you feeling, Paddy? You yes. know? <laughs> and Huey went over my shoulder. He said, Jesus, Paddy, I see you're getting ready for Saipan. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, I know the Ambroses will forgive me for that, but it was, it was, it was, that was great. The, the it connection was great. That was the connection and that was the, the respect. Even on his deathbed, they still... Yeah, and yeah. he passed away two days later. So, so I was delighted to get a chance to see him and, and chat to him. And, uh, but what a man. So you had a, we'll move on to your managerial spells in the 80s. You managed Home Farm and Drotta. How did you find managing? Well, I, I, I went into the Home Farm uh, job. I, I think Ray Tracy had just decided to leave. And actually, uh, no, 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 I was in, uh, up in Home Farm, up on the Whitehall Road there. Right. Uh, and and uh, so I knew going into the job that I think if you know where you're strong and where your weaknesses are, it helps. And I knew I needed somebody with me who would be able to do. I mean, coaching was coming to the fore at that time, and I'd never done a coaching course in my life. Right. So I knew I needed to get somebody who knew the drills and knew how to excite uh, fellas and make uh, training enjoyable. The classic manager and coach combination, pretty much, isn't well, it? Yeah, you needed a coach, you yeah. were a manager. I think it's important if you know where you're weak that you 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 you, you supplement that particular area. And and yeah. so I went to Liam Tui, who would had an outrageously successful time with Noel O'Reilly, Lord Restham, and Brian Kerr. And I went to Liam and I said, look, Liam, I, I need somebody I'm thinking about. Noel O'Reilly, what do you feel about it? And Liam would have said, Mick, brilliant, great lad. And Noel O'Reilly was a gem. Yeah. Noel O'Reilly will be forever on my mind, uh, you know, a thorough gentleman and what a coach and what what a person, uh, more importantly. But uh, he, he uh, for, for for various reasons, like his, his community work that he was doing, he was with Belvedere, he was doing community work, and he also had a, 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 a very uh, time-consuming job in the School of the Blind uh, in Drumcondra there, and uh, and obviously the Belvedere work as well. And I had a great chat with him, and he said, Mick, he said, I've always wanted to try to take a football, he said, but now my commitments are such, he said, that I, I couldn't really do the job justice. So I went back to Liam Toohey, and I said, Liam, Noel can't do it, uh, what about Brian Kerr? And he said, Mick, I'm telling you, he said, either Brian or Noel, either of them, he said, are so talented. And I asked Brian, would he, and he took the job, and oh, yeah. he was absolutely brilliant, <coughs> absolutely top class. In fact, mm -hmm. when I talk to some of the backroom people now in, 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 the, in, in the international setup, and those people that have worked with Brian, all felt absolutely Perfect. It was great. Yeah. Brian was great. Uh, but so so Brian came on board with me in Home Farm and we enjoyed two great seasons where it w would have been unknown for Home Farm not to have to apply for what they called re-election at the time. Oh, yeah. So we had a great we had a great time together. And and, uh, and then I went to Drogheda, which was a disaster. Oh, yeah. An absolute disaster. And... Uh, at the time, uh, uh, well, uh, and to just go through it very quickly, 
uh, the, they rang me, uh, or a friend of mine rang me to say he was close to the uh, Drogheda people and a uh, whole new set up, whole new set of directors and all this. And uh, would I so like uh, consider... the sun, moon, the stars. Would, would I consider, yeah. And I said I would. And, and, uh, and then I brought in people like uh, Terry Daly and, and Dave Henderson and Mick Moody and, and people like that who had good pedigree in League of Ireland football yeah. but were, weren't, they were out of the game at the time. So uh, I signed them up. Brian had gone to take the St. Pat's job because he was a lifelong St. Pat's yeah. supporter and when the opportunity came, couldn't he couldn't turn, that down, uh, yeah. couldn't turn it down. But uh, So I went to Drogheda and I knew... Uh, well, when I went to draw that, I'm saying when I went to draw that, I this fella, I, I I refused the job initially, and and then he rang me again about a week later, and he said, "Look, Mick, said the, the board understand you don't want to take the job, but they'd like to talk to you in terms of who they should be going to." So, I went down to the Skyland Hotel, and the new chairman, we were to meet at something like seven. The Skyland Hotel seems to be steeped in League of Royal history. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, we, we I was to meet the the, the board uh, at half seven, and we were all there except the chairman, who arrived an hour later oh, and came in and and didn't even say, "I'm sorry, I'm late" or nothing, and just sat down and uh, straight away he said, "Mick," he said, "We're not here to ask you about who else. We'd like you to take the job," <laughs> and I I <clears throat> openly I said, "Hold on," I said, "I I can't I can't." do this I said because you have, you have a long history of uh, breaking contracts with players the non-payment of, of monies that were due and all. I said I can't get involved in that I said I, I have no black marks against me and I, mm. I don't want to get involved in something like that Mick whatever the problem is you won't have money problems and I, I never, last words I never forget <laughs> I'd signed all these lads that I spoke about earlier and I, I signed them, and and, uh, and they were all free agents. Uh, so I, I organised some uh, signing on, which was a very um, modest uh, signing on phase, and I broke it down into three payments. And they were due to be paid. And we played. We played against uh, the the first portion was due to be paid, and we 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 played against. Uh, Derry City, who were the top team at the time. Jim oh, yeah. McLaughlin was manager in, in Derry at the time. And there was something like a £26,000 gate came into Drogheda at the time. Now, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but this is exactly what happened oh, yeah. and how it happened. Uh, so, yeah, it's a long time ago. So, uh, anyway, we there was £26,000 gate and then we were going to Bally Buffet the next week and the payment, the first payments were due to these lads who, who had come on board. And the chairman rang me on the Thursday and said, Mick, uh, I'm sorry, he said, uh, we won't have those payments uh, for you on Sunday. And I said, I said, Matt, I said, you know. Massive gain just had, gone. You said 26 grand. Yeah, but the bank took it. <laughs> the bank took it. Oh. So I said, well, look. I, I'm going to write out my resignation and I'm going to take the team to Buffet. and if you have the payments for the players, that's fine. If you don't, you'll have my resignation. And that's what happened. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So they pretty much, I mean, there was that, that's a lot of money back then, even now for a club. 
Hmm. And it just it never materialized. It, it, it yeah. went missing. It's kind of the story of the 1950s League of Ireland. It's like where yeah. did all the money go? And then if you yeah. look at the GAA, what they did with their with the money that they accumulated, crowds. they invested it fantastically. And look at the and look at them now. Yeah, and yeah. and or it just it went down by the wayside with the League of Ireland. Imagine imagine if it had been invested properly, infrastructure and and and, and that. Going back to Home Farm, you led them to a shock two 0 win. <coughs> At Milltown in March 1985. That's right. Against a strong 4-in-a-row team. Decent team, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think a little fella we had playing with us, uh, Paul Masterson, scored a good goal that day. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, it was uh, it was a great result for us. Obviously, it didn't do them any good, but mm. uh, it was a strange one. What's your... Um, now, I'm putting you on the spot. What's your best moment in football? And then we'll ask you your worst one as well. Could you narrow I, it down? I... I you know, I don't, I don't, look, well, anybody that knows me knows I've had uh, some health issues in recent times where I've had hernia, hip and uh, cancer surgery. Uh, and uh, three weeks ago, eventually, I got back to playing football. You're back playing football? I'm back. I, I, when I say that, it's not silly football. Uh, I play with a group of lads who get together every Saturday on an all-weather surface and, and uh, we play. And I, 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 I can't describe to you the difference it's made to my psyche, to my mind, and, and to just get back running around and getting the ball and passing it. And, you know, it it's, makes you feel... Uh, yeah, it makes me feel, feel normal right. again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And have you got any, any, th- any moments in your career that you thought this is, the, this is rock bottom? Well, I, I had a quite a bad experience in in uh, in 1975. I played with Shelburne for one season, and uh, the thing about playing with Shelburne was the, the the one thing that we both agreed on was they hated me and I hated them. This is mutual. So uh, it it just didn't work with somebody coming from Shamrock Rovers mm. to Shelbourne. It it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And, huh? and, yeah, and and I had no I had no issues about that at all. Uh, we we just didn't. And luckily enough, and when I said earlier that Jim McLaughlin saved my career, Jim McLaughlin signed me from from Shelbourne, and I I went on to have six great years there. Yeah. Uh, rock bottom, I would say, I was thirteen. I. Now, this is nothing to do with my professional career, but it was just a moment in my life that I, when I reflect back on it, I, I find it hard not to get emotional. Okay. But, and this might seem silly, but uh, I was in school, I'd done my primary cert, uh, always wanted to get an apprenticeship of some sort or go on in education, but I was from nine boys and one girl, and my dad worked in a place called Illiffey Dockyard. And my dad used to get off at 25 past 12 every day and he'd cycle back to the home. And But I'd have ran from the school and I'd be home always slightly before him. Right. And this particular day, we had a school teacher called Sean Moran. Right. Right. A very private man, but I, I didn't know till years later that he was secretary of the home farm football club for about 10 years and he was also he used to teach the juveniles golf in Clontarf golf club and I, I had that teacher for seven years and he loved his football he loved his soccer and he used to arrange games uh, during the lunch break and uh, I was captain of one of the teams and right. we got to the final uh, 
So I had time to, there was a playoff for third and fourth place and I had time to run home to Eastwall, or to, to Ravensdale Road in Eastwall. Right. It was only five minutes. And I was able to have, as I thought, have my lunch and get back and play the final. And I was really looking forward to it because it was a real highlight getting right. to the final. Right. So my dad, I'm I'm scoffing my 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 dinner. This was Friday, and I'm scoffing away. And my dad comes in and he said, uh, "Michael, why are you rushing your food?" Well, uh, well, he wouldn't have said food. He would have said dinner. Mm. Why are you rushing your dinner? Dad, we're in the final, you know, and I think we have a great chance, you know. So we need to get back for the. He said, Michael. I'll never forget this. He said, go up and put your Sunday clothes on and go down to Mr. Lennox in the Liffey Dockyard. Here's a job for you. And I said, oh yeah, that's okay, Dad. I'll do that on Monday. You know, but... And when my dad said something twice, my dad never raised his hand to me or got angry at me in his life. But when my dad said something twice... He meant business. He meant business. (laughs) And you knew it. So, I had to go upstairs. I, I had to forsake... The game going back to the so school, you missed the final, and I missed, the and final. that's everyone. So, when you're talking about time. disappointments, but let me tell you the finish of it. I'd never seen the school teacher, I was 13 then, and when I was 17 and I was in Milltown, our secretary at the time was Captain Scully, and there used to be a selection committee then. and We used to pick Captain Scully up, Liam Tui, and I would pick him up on a tourist day in Leeson Park. And we loved picking him up because he had the wages. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got into the car and he was kind of, he was a big old, that's why he was called captain. He was a big, but he was a nice man. I liked him. And, and, and uh, he's in the back of the car and he says, uh, Lawler, uh, report to Dainamount Park next Tuesday night to Mr. Doyle. You have a game against England in a couple of weeks time and you have to get a few training sessions in. And, Obviously, I was delighted. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, in those days, there was very few people went to youth international games, and we were playing against England, which had the likes of Larry Lloyd and Shilton and all these. Oh, yeah. You know, it was it was. Uh, anyway, we beat them two one, by the way, which was fantastic. Mm. Uh, but over on the far side of Daly Mount, there wouldn't have been anybody around, uh, maybe three or four people. But when the ball went out. You had to rely on one of those people to throw the Jump ball back. back. Right. You didn't need security in those days. <laughs> no ball boys. So, right, so it was you climbing over the wall so yourself together. I, I wanted to take a quick throw in and I, I'm kind of saying, come on, throw, throw. and who threw the ball back to me? The school teacher. No way. Yeah. And, full circle. And I knew, I knew he would have been annoyed with me, but I also knew he was proud that day yeah. as well. So that's, that's where they got and uh, once again put you on the spot but any funny stories or what's your funniest moment in football that you can think of I think I think one of the I've had lots of funny you know absolutely loads of funny but I think one of the, the funniest ones I think I had we played uh, we played uh, we played in the stadium of light Eindhoven we played them in Dundalk right. in the European Cup and we drew 1-1 with them and we went we were to play we obviously had to go away and play them and a neutral venue so Jim McLaughlin rang me and said Mick said I'm going to go over 
and watched him on Sunday. He said, "Will you take the team?" I think we were playing against Sligo, and we were always going to win. So I took the team, and I got over to Eindhoven then the Tuesday, and Jim calls me aside, and he says, "Mick, I think we have a great chance." Right. So. I was heartened by that, you know. So we start the game and we have a reserve keeper called Eddie Mahan. He was from Derry. Right. And a very nice lad, great lad and a decent goalkeeper as well. So anyway, we started off against Einhoven and I think about after an hour we're 6-0 down. <laughs> Jim taught me the great chance. <laughs> we were 6-0 down. So we'd used up about 10 subs yeah. <laughs> Exaggeration, but we'd used up all the subs we could. And Richie Blackmore, who was playing a goal, gets injured and he has to go off. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, now, what's going to happen here? We're going to have to put somebody back, you know, and play them in goal. Yeah. And, and I see Eddie Mahan and he's limbering up on the sideline and he's doing all the stretching and he's putting on his gloves and he's... And the referee comes over to me and says, your goalkeeper, he cannot come on. I said, well, I know that. He said, well, we have to go and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> so we went over to him. And, and the referee says, you tell him. I said, no, you tell him. <laughs> so anyway, I had to tell Eddie. I said, Eddie, you can't come on. We've used up all our subs. And he looked at the referee and he said, what the fuck? He says, you're six fucking nothing, he says. What difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> Just let him go in. Ah, oh, good. What about um, <coughs> who's the best player you've played with? I think you said Frank O'Neill. Yeah, best player. What about, what about international player. level? Best well, you, you know, there's lots of great international players. I, 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 I don't think I'd kind of pick out anybody other than I didn't have that many caps that I would have enjoyed uh, hmm. that that much. But certainly Frank O'Neill was, was uh, the outstanding. Who impressed you most against? Which which international? Well, there was a fellow called Van der Kuylen who played with Eindhoven right. and. I remember looking at him. He scored the equaliser in the dark, actually, against us. Uh, and I'm kind of looking at him. And I was a midfield player. And, and I'm kind of looking at this guy. And I thought he was amazing. And I remember after the game, talking to... I got talking to a director uh, who had very good English of, of, of Eindhoven. And I said, Van der Kuylen, I said, I, I do not see him in, the, in the, the Dutch international team. And he said, no. He said, never. Well, uh what was his name? The 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 Dutch, the Dutch great, player. great player, great oh. uh, player. Oh, I don't know what's happening to me there. Cruyff. I can't remember. Cruyff, that was yeah. him. He said uh, not why Cruyff was involved. He, he would not for whatever the reason, and I never got into why. But I thought Van der Kuylen was an absolute brilliant class, yeah. class act. And uh, we'll just go back to the infamous game with Linfield, the European Cup campaign, mm. the crowd trouble, and describe the scenes at Oriel that day. Well, I, I don't think anybody, I, I, I think there was a certain amount of naivety about this whole thing because our game started 48 hours after 18 soldiers lost their lives up in Worm Point and Lord Mountbatten and three of his crew were blown out of the water in Tuberkuri. So uh, it was just tense, I'd so, say. So, well, I mean... When I say there was a certain amount of naivety, I don't understand how the people governing the game thought it was okay. Like, to go to Linfield at any time 
was an arduous task. Yeah. I mean, I can remember, and I hope nobody gets offended, but I can remember trying to go out on the pit. Like, I, I played up the north quite a bit because we always qualified. And there was different sponsors like Blacksnit and Texaco and all this sort of thing. So, right. so, Ireland, yeah. uh, so we played up there quite a bit. And... Like, you're walking out on the pitch of Windsor, for instance, and there was this cage which protected you somewhat. And, like, there'd be sticks being poked through it and there'd be fellas spitting at you and piddling and, you know. So, uh, to play against them at any time was an arduous task yeah. and, and not a pleasant one, I have to say. But they had some very good players. They were, they were, you know. So, uh, I, I always remember going up for the for the, the the toss and uh there was a fella there was no premiership then uh and there was a, a fella a, a referee called pat partridge who was a very good referee in the first division in england at the time and the stones as we were tossing up to see which way we were going to play the stones were coming in into the center circle and so throwing rocks in and yeah absolutely and and I said to Pat, I said, Pat, you can't start this game. And he said, Mickey said, look, we know who's causing the problem and there's a UEFA observer in the stand. So if I have to abandon this match after 10 or 15 seconds, that's what I'm going to do. And But he played, uh, the game went on, but what was happening around you was just absolutely incredible. It was a first for everybody because there was just violence and nothing but violence. They weren't there watching a football game, mm. you know. And 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 I, I know I've said this so many times, but the, the outstanding memory was was uh, Conor Hulan asking me for that, uh, you know, and and with the three policemen running at me, and and it was just an extraordinary thing mm. altogether. And and I know there was certainly an awful lot of damage done to the town uh, as the buses were bringing the and Linfield supporters back, you know. So it ended up that UEFA wouldn't allow us to go to Windsor and Linfield had to choose a venue more than 170 miles away or something from, from their own pitch. Really? And they, they chose a place called Harlem in Holland and we played the game. They actually, showed, they actually went abroad. They chose mm, yeah, a venue. Yeah. 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 Is there any way they could have picked an Irish venue? Or no, they, they no. There had, there had to be a hundred. I've never heard that story. That's crazy. Yeah. How bizarre was that to be playing Linfield in Holland? <coughs> well, how the what? How bizarre was it? Yeah, absolutely bizarre. You know, because we played the game behind locked doors. There was, there was and no, there was no fans. No either. fans. Just a couple of local you could people. Hear a pin drop, I'd say. Yeah, it was eerie. Barking. It was eerie. Dogs barking. Yeah. And and we, we we managed to beat them two 0 and and. Uh, and what was the atmosphere? I know the atmosphere was really tense between fans, and there was all sorts of violence going on. What was the atmosphere like between the players? Was there no, was there an extra bit of grit or needle or anything no, like that? Or it was just a game. Just no, any other game. No. You know, it was it was quite normal. The yeah. the, the, the you know what we felt both felt about each other and they had some really good players and, and I actually got on well with, with everybody it was just that there was this sectarian thing there and, yeah. and uh, there was no way you could just rub it out for that particular it game it didn't rub off on the players because for instance like if like Rovers and Bowers sometimes you can the atmosphere can rub off on the players and you can see it they, they, they it's like they don't like each other the, the two sets of players genuinely just want to get stuck in, and the, there's no love between them. But well, it didn't. It didn't happen like that. There was no. 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 It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was bizarre. 
uh, Canada. It was it was just it was it was it was a first for me to experience mm. that sort of thing. Uh, it was just and uh, but as I said, we beat them two 0 and and uh, but the, one of the the things about that was uh, the day before the game, uh, we had finished training early and. Like in those days, there was no mobile phones, yeah, and there was no, what do you call them, Twitters and yeah. Facebooks yeah. and all that sort of thing. You know, there was nothing Simpler like times. that. There was no real form of communication. Uh, you know, so so you told uh, someone you were going to meet them at a certain time and a certain place. That that'd be it. Well, anyway, Darren McKeeley came to me and uh, in the in the early afternoon, and he said, Mick said. Uh, and the, the expression he used was that the natives are restless. So that meant that everybody was bored stiff. Yeah. Because there was no games to be played and, and you know, when you, you couldn't be... keep past the time. So, yeah. so, and you can understand that. So I said, well, what are you thinking? He said, well, we'd like to go into town, you know. And I said, I don't know, damn it. I said, you know... Did you ask Jim? He said no. He said he said we just thought it'd be better if you ask him. You know. <laughs> so you said so. So anyway, I went to Jim, and I said Jim, I said damn it is approached me there, and he's he, he, you know, and he said well, well what do you, what do you, what do you think? And I said well look, I said I don't mind. I I go with them, you know, and uh, if you if you set a time, a curfew time, and and we'll definitely be back and. And it was absolutely brilliant. We went into the red light district. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and we'd done all the tourist bit, and we had great, great fun, great bit of crack, and and uh, had a couple of very light beers, and home about half an hour before the, the, the uh, before the curfew. And what we found out when at the airport the next day after the match, when the match was done and dusted, that Limfield had been... You know, absolutely enclosed. They, they they weren't allowed to do anything. You reckon that was allowed. a factor? Well, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, we 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 were able to get out and we were able to let the air out, and and keep it keep it right and keep it in perspective. And uh, we beat them. Uh, they they were cooped up. Yeah. yeah, they were cooped up. Yeah. The only similar case I can think of was uh, nineteen ninety eight. UEFA Cup. Shelburne played Rangers, and the game was moved to Prendon Park, Tranmere's ground. I think that's the only other time that like mm. a League of Ireland team has played a European side not in their country or Ireland yeah. but a neutral venue Yeah. and yeah. what was, the, was that move because that was a famous game Shelburne went 3-0 up after an hour mm. and Rangers ended up in a 5-3 mm. yeah. and then um, we will talk about you signing for Rovers in 1965 can you remember how it came about yeah uh, obviously my, my dad had been a very very prominent Truncondra uh, player in those days and I actually had trained uh, just before I went away to Man United I had trained and played a couple of games for Truncondra's B team even though I was only 15 uh, but when I came back Liam Tui and Paddy Ambrose presented themselves and said, look, we'd, we'd love to sign you. And the Drumcondra people, who I think might have assumed 
that because my dad had such a history with them that it was a natural that I was going to sign up with drums, but they never asked me. Right. I think there was there might have been an issue at the time about, well, well, look, if you want to play with drums, you come and ask us yeah. rather than us ask you. And I signed for Shamrock Rovers, and I have to say, in your career, you need a bit of luck. And I got a bit of luck when Liam Tilly and Paddy Ambrose asked me to sign for Rovers. And you scored in your debut the following year? Yeah, I think I think it did. Yeah, yeah. now that's something I wouldn't remember. But uh, look, it was it was just a great experience, and and uh, it was a great. There, there were there were Liam Tilly and Paddy Ambrose played a huge part of my life. Oh yeah, great, great people. And can you uh, can you think of your favourite Rovers goal? Does that pop up? As I said earlier, for a little short arse, I don't know how right with my head. And, 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 uh, but uh, I, I can't actually think of what was my favourite goal for Shamrock Rovers. I suppose your first cup final is meaningful, isn't yeah. it? And, oh, it and to, to be, yeah. just get the ball in the net, no matter how you've done it, uh, was was probably one of the highlights. So you Mick, know? did you enjoy your experience in Johnny Bills? It was very good, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and thanks very much. Your podcasting debut. Yeah, it was great to have you. And hopefully, we see you in Talent again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I can see myself coming out now a little bit more often. And right, so that was Mick, and he's he's off. He's gone off, and we thank him, uh, big time for coming on the show and sharing his stories with us. So we'll move on to some Rovers news now. And we had, so we had Alan O'Brien tweeted that he was refused accreditation on the basis of his Dublin Derby analysis piece in which he questioned Stephen Bradley's position at the Hoops Helm and he said censorship is alive and well and Carl you said you know why that decision was made yeah I sent him a sarcastic tweet actually but he actually read it as a show of support so I need to stop being so subtle but uh, yeah me and Gary we use media passes at away games in League of Ireland ground so I certainly wouldn't like this to happen to us so if I thought Rovers were in the wrong here I would say it. And pretty much all the media this week were questioning Bradshaw's position. And they were all welcome back to Tata. So what does that tell you? There's two sides to every story. And it's actually embarrassing that he just threw that up and people were so quick to believe it. I suppose they just aren't aware of his history. And still, it's a free country. He could have paid the 15 euro in like everyone else. And wrote on his blog about Stephen Bradley's hair or whatever passes for journalism these days. Yeah, so um like I said, he, he could have paid in. I don't I'm not even sure if he went to the game or not, but uh from from what I've noticed before, um this this guy kind of mentions things that are just unnecessary quite a lot. And then Miguel Delaney of the Irish Independent called his analysis pretentious shy. He actually said that. Was that in the mm-hmm. that on Twitter or on the paper? On Twitter, yeah. I'd actually put that in my Twitter profile. If someone said that about me. Yeah, pretentious shy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say his sometimes his analysis is really good, but um like I said, he's um he's had some history in Limerick before, so So we'll talk about the other results in the League of Ireland since our last show and uh Dundalk and Derry had a interesting game, two all in Oriel Park. It was was it there three goals in the first half, one in the second. We'd bought for 3-0 versus Bray. We'd balls at home. They lost 2-0 in the game that was on TV. That was the Cork. Uh, ourselves, we drew one all with Limerick. And Sligo drew nil all with a Pats. I fancy Pats in that one, in fairness. And if Pats had won last night, we'd be in the bottom half of the table right now. Yep, yeah, mid-table. 
So it's a um, massive game now. We played, we played three of the bottom four teams. How many points have we got? And we got one point. One point. I honestly marked us down for nine in my prediction. So it's uh, it's not looking good at the moment. As for the Dundalk Derry game, <coughs> amazing quote from Kenny Shields. He said, the referee was called Ben and the linesman was called Bill. That tells its own story. Yeah, do you know what? I was actually speaking to... You're gonna say you're gonna slag me again, but he, he the ref, the fourth official bill was or Ben was telling me about this. He said Kenny was hilarious. <laughs> he said he was brilliant. He said he was calling them Bill and Ben after the game. <laughs> but, but um, they uh, felt they felt like they got uh, they they got the decisions right. Right, so we'll move on to our uh, Roadstone project with the Rovers under 19s who won 2-0 away to Waterford. And that was, as we speak today, Sunday, we're recording. So that was a win for them. And um, they'll play Kevin Teeley this coming Saturday at 4 o'clock. Both goals by Dean Williams there. Both goals by Dean Williams. Um, 4 o'clock kickoff at the Roadstone for Pines. And the 17s beat UCD 1-0 at Roadstone with Danila Bogdanov. Header for his 8th goal of the season. He is racking up the goals, prof. And uh, five wins out five now for Roasters boys, and their next fixture won't be for two weeks until they travel to Galway. Yeah, it was twenty degrees out there at Rosetown in the afternoon. Ah, oh, there you go, that beer garden. Referee called for a couple of water breaks. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. As for Bogdanov, the fact that Gar has tried to pronounce his name so many times now that shows you how often he's scoring goals. <laughs> yeah, he was born in Dublin. He has a Latvian dad. But he also qualifies to play for Russia. So, Ooh, so Latvia, Russia and Ireland. Big decision to make when all three countries come calling. Yeah. And uh, that's not before World War Three kicks off, though. <laughs> Depending, you have to pick a side then. And uh, the 15s beat Cabotini 4 nil at Roadstone with goals from Oshin Hand, Sinclair Armstrong, it's a pretty cool name, uh, Conan Noonan and Kyle O'Connor. And then we had Sam McLean, who played for Cabo. So divided loyalty, says his dad, Jason Pogues Whiskey McLean. So for the 15s, they played 4-1-4, scored 24 and conceded 0. And they travelled to Athlone on Sunday. So um, how say, about that for a stat? And then we had Shamrock Rovers' official Twitter account and they said, great to see the season. Uh, great start to the season for our underage sides. And the under-15s played 4-1-4. The under-17s played 5-1-5. And the under-19s played 3-1-3. So literally, no losses. Yeah. 100% start. 100% start for her Roadstone project. I don't know if so, you can bet on underage level, but all three winning their leagues, that'd be a good Possibly. No, I don't think the 15s or the 17s. You could possibly bet on the 19s. I know you could bet on Crumlin last night. Crumlin went down with the FAI Cup last night, the Intercore on penalties. A team, three leagues below them. You could have bet on that. It was on live scores. But I don't think you can bet on the 19s and the 17s. So, uh, probably better off anyway. And we're going to talk about the draws for the first round of the under-19s, 17s and 15s Cups were made. The 19s got a boy, the 17s are a home to UCD, and the 15s are away to Shelbourne. So uh, look forward to those fixtures. And a bit of silverware, hopefully, at the end. And we have a 2-0 win for Ireland's under-16s against Bulgaria on Wednesday with six Rovers players involved, Republic of Rovers. And Luke Turner scored his first international goal with Keane Kelly, captain of the team. Um, heard great things about Keane Kelly. Supposed to be a smashing little player. And Alex Dunn, of course, Duffer's... Uh, one of Duffer's starlets and Toby Owens were in the starting 11 with Gavin Bazuna and James Forlong on the bench and great results so well done lads and then we have uh, Longford in the League Cup on Tuesday which uh, Dan Fulham has been asking us to to do a live one prof on Tuesday so I don't think that'll be happening 
Why does he want a live one? I don't know. He thinks we should do a live show in the 1899 and then commentate on it. So he said he has a bit of experience commentating. So I'm not too sure if we'll go with that. It'd be something we might be interested in doing, though, having a, a live commentary. And I don't think people would be interested in listening to it after the game, though. But um, I think we should probably give it a go eventually. But you're a, you're a fucker for sound and perfectionist, so I, I can only imagine you going mad with all the, the interference there. <laughs> But like I said, Longford in the League Cup on Tuesday, Derry away on Friday. Big, big push for numbers on this one. We're all on the Gertie Twig bus. Loads of people going down this one to make sure you get your name on a bus or a train or a jockey back, whatever way you want to travel to Derry. But get up and support the team and we'll have a... Derry's always, Derry way is always good. Plus we have to see New Brandywell as well. So check out uh, the away section there. And then we have Cork at home on the Monday. So a tough couple of games. Derry away and then Cork at home. And uh, we'll have three games to talk about by the time we do our next show. So long for tickets are a tenner as well. So get down on this Tuesday. So what's that, Prof? We've got how many games in three games in six days? Yeah, so three games in seven days, pretty much. And um, The return of Neil Fenn to Tallaght. Yeah. Rather have a Tipton than a Fenn. Oh, do you remember that? Sitting there in the rain, just watching Dundalk take us apart. It was awful. It was awful. And it was the first return of Fenn after he... Air quotes retired and was mm. coaxed out of retirement by O'Neill. And uh, we all were convinced he was going to run the show that day and get a goal. Certainly didn't happen. So, uh, next up, we're going to have start 11s and predictions. Okay, so I feel like going first today, Gar. I'm actually sending out two very different teams here. Okay. Only three players to feature in both games. Oh, okay. So we're going for Longford first, obviously. Yeah. Perky went off with a knock against Limerick, but Brasford said it's nothing too serious, so okay. I'm going to assume he's clear for Friday. So, me Longford team. Keen Clark. Okay. Weren't expecting that, were you? No, certainly not. Lukey, Addy, Pico and Joey O'Brien. Okay. Custrain, Finn, Greg Bolger and Sean Boyd. Sean Boyd? On the wing. And Shaw and Dylan up front. Shaw and Dylan up front. Okay. Here's me dairy team. Horgan, Cabinet, Grace, Pico, Boyle. So Cabinet's left back. Aaron Bolger, Davy Mack, Finn, and Boyd again. Oh, Boyd again. You're, yep. pres- you're predicting big things for the Boyd lad. And Burke and Carr. And Burke and Carr. Okay, so that's the profs teams. Uh, I'm struggling here. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna take what you said and go go with Keen Clark. Uh, I think he's gonna play Lukey on the left. I'm gonna play Pico and Ali G in the middle of central defensive pairing. I'm gonna go Martin's all like Kanye. Oh, right back. Trying to outdo me here. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go Bulger and Brandon Cavanagh central midfield with Finn. And do you know what? That I don't. I think Davy Mack needs a game. Yeah, in Derry. Yeah. No, we'll stick with it. We'll stick with it. We'll go Aaron Bulger. We'll go Brandon Cabinet Finn. Uh, Joel Coustan on the left. And give Brando another chance on the right. Do you know what? I didn't have Brando on either of my I teams know, there. Yeah, no, I think one more chance again in, in the League Cup <coughs> and, and let's see if he can do anything with that. And then I'm gonna go. Uh, has to be Shaw's up front, give him game time. And yeah, that's it. So Shaw's up front with Finn just in behind him. Finn in a more advanced role, which I would like to see him in. Right, okay, my team for Derry. 
Horgan. Gonna play Lukey left full. Gonna play Boyle right full. I'm gonna Pico and Grace in the middle of the park. In or sorry, in the middle central defence. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four four two. Open Derry and go for it. So Aaron Bolger and Finn in the middle. Uh, Kavanaugh on the left with Coustron on the right and Carr and Shawsy up front. Fuck it, why not? Four four two. Because they won't be expecting that at all. And, Brad, and, and Bradzer hasn't kind of deviated from the, the, the 4 5 1 or whatever you want, 4 4 1 1. So I'm going to go 4 4 2 and we're going to go and, and nick those three points with a 1 0 win, courtesy of Mr. Carr in the last minute. And Longford, I'd say a 2 0 win. Jeez, if ever it was a must win game. Oh, don't say that. It's Terry. Don't say must win. I, you know, I don't think I've ever said it on the show before. No, you hate it. But I'm actually saying it now. You hate this. This is actually a must-win game. Good. As for predictions, Longford. I say two-one, okay. and I'm agreeing with you about Derry Nick a one-nil. Oh, that's rough. That's a that's a shot out of the dark there. Well, I just told you we have to win. So yeah. I'm not hardly going to predict a defeat, am I? So don't forget to get yourself your name down on the bus. Uh, we're on the Gary Twig Supporters Club. We've got loads of names down already going. The Hoops SC, they run the bus. Ultras are possibly run the bus. But get yourself up to Derry. I mean, it's one of the best away trips of the season. So why wouldn't you go? And uh, the weather is supposed to be good as well. So get yourself on a bus. Get your bag of cans ready. And... Go uh, support the hoops up in the new Brandywell. We'll check out the new away section. I think got a lick of paint. That was it. But um, yeah, uh, we've got uh, what else? Derry are considering changing their name from the Brandywell to the Roy McBride Brandywell Stadium. So I'm not too sure about that. If they weren't going to do it with Mark Farron, I don't think they were going to do it with him, were they? So it's. I think what they were going to do was uh, name a stand. Have a stand. That'd be great. Yeah. A stand. Yeah. yeah. I think the Brandywell is an iconic name. Yeah, I think so. And uh, they're flying at the minute, Prof. So it's definitely... I mean, they. if you saw their team, it's quite young. And they, they scored two goals against Dundalk, who have been great all season defensively. They've been brilliant since we hammered them. Mm-hmm. They have six wins and a draw. They've gotten players back from suspension. So they've got the Hales. They've got Cortes, who was uh, the subject of a bid from Portsmouth. So mm-hmm. he, he could be gone in the next few weeks. But they do have a great young squad. McAniff is, is excellent in the middle. He's going to be the danger man. He, he put us to the sword last time up in... Uh, what was the name of the, the, the ground where we were? Where did it, the imaginary goal? Uh, McGinn Park. McGinn Park, yeah. So we were put to the sword up there by a cracker from McAniff. So we haven't won the brand new well since May 2015 in the League Cup. 1-0? Yeah, Sean O'Connor free kick. Sean O'Connor free. And we haven't won there in the League since May 2014. And they've won all their games at home so far. And we have the second worst away record in the league. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough one, Prof, because I, genu- I genuinely think we can win. It's a game of football, you know, 90 minutes. We can, we can win. We can go up there and we've... We've, we're have we due an away win where we play well because we play well in our away games like it's Waterford against Dundalk mm. and we've lost we're due a win away plus our away form is quite poor so we're definitely due a win our predictions make absolutely no sense <laughs> yeah. based on current form don't they ever do do they no so definitely guys get yourselves up and, uh, and get out of that game because like I said it's going to be a, it's going to be one of those old school hardcore rovers away trips 
we're uh, everything we're against all odds and we go up there and nick the win I do I, I genuinely feel like we're going to get a big away win out of nowhere this season because we played each other four times yeah it's a 36 game league this is primed for it we I got think. that surprise win on Dundalk when we came back from Europe there is one there for us definitely yeah think God, really God knows it was going to be this Friday but <laughs> um, yeah so the club has introduced the New Balance Summer Range in 2018 in the Mega Store and online so and as Darren Hawthorne says a wind blocker mid layer and rain jacket as part of your summer range you have to be realistic I suppose <laughs> so some gorgeous uh, gear in the shop and uh, don't forget big thank you to anyone who bought our poker tickets and big thank you to uh Talahoops and John Connolly and the lads who bought four tickets and kindly gen- donated a few quid to our cause and a quest for new equipment and, and the audio perfection. So don't forget, 23rd of June, come and see me at the Prof for your poker tickets, 25 a pop, and it's going to be a great night in Peach Trees. They're putting on some grub. We'll have spot prizes, we'll have maybe a player or two jumping in on the stakes, and uh, we'll have a raffle. We'll have all sorts of cool stuff, food, the whole lot. 23rd of June, come see me and Prof, 25 quid. And we'll have a proper Rovers night out. And uh, are we going to unleash Johnny Blue on people? Johnny Blue is going to be unleashed. He's going to be at the top table at the end of it. We know it. I'm, I'm dying to see him play real poker. I want to see him in an actual environment. Yeah, not just our little gang here. Yeah, where we kind of know how each other plays and yeah. we know each other's ticks and, and and things like that. So listen, tell your friends they play poker. Tell your friends. Tell your sisters, tell your aunties, tell everybody to come down to Peace Trees the 23rd of June. We'll have a good night. Even if you've never played poker in your life, I, I remember playing here for the first time. I dragged you along, remember? And I actually won my first game. Yeah. It was, it was pure beginner's luck, obviously. And do you well, know what? With the first ever tournament, fun, the first ever tournament, funnily enough, you said that, the first ever tournament I played in for Glenmore Rovers years ago in Cocos, it'd been my first competitive, and I got the top, I came 10th out mm. of possibly 100 people. Got a hundred quid out of it. So come down, skim the rules, have a look at poker, and come down and have a bit of crack with us. That's the that's what we're just. It was so to much have. fun though when I wasn't overthinking it. That's the thing. You just caution to the wind, I wasn't was it? Fearless, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, like I said, I came ten to oh, nearly hundred people in my first game. So come down and have a bit of crack with us and listen, taste some peach trees food and, and show our sponsors how much you love them. So that's it for this week. We're fifty shows down, prof. Could you believe it? I cannot believe it. The big five oh. So we'll be back on Thursday, the third of May, and we will have loads to talk about. We'll have our win in the brand new well to talk about, our progression in the A Sports Cup, and uh, our title charge back on track. Too much? <laughs> so that's it. And uh, like I said, we'll see you in the Brandywell on Friday and Tala on Tuesday. And keep on hooping. See you.